The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. We're good to go. All right. Steve Rinella, Cam Haynes, what's happening? Good to see you guys. Yeah, thanks for having me out, man. My pleasure. Cam, explain that ridiculous thing around your neck. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, this? That thing. Oh, I oh. didn't know. <laughs> what, what ca- where am I? What camera am I? Uh, right there. Yeah. So this is, uh, how badass is this? Solid gold <laughs> mold of, this is my first brown bear I killed with Roy. So they made a mold off this claw. I had this just tanned hide laying around. I'm like, I got to, we got to, I don't know. What's it going to do? Just lay there? So I'm like, I got to have something. And I took it to Ski's Jeweler, which has been in Eugene for 104 years. So it's kind of a cool little story. And they came up with this crazy necklace. So it's, oh, they wanted me to tell you. It's uh, it's re, uh, what is it? It's not not newly mined gold. It's Rec- oh, reclaimed, reclaimed. Or? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. so, so they're not ruining the planet to get it. So they want me. To, this is like reclaimed gold, but it's solid. And then there's six carats of rubies on there and black diamonds. So, so if the that, rubies. If, if, if this is a ridiculous it, thing you're talking about, yeah, yeah. Okay, that was it. Yeah. So the rubies. That's though, a lot of pawn shop wedding rings laid up in there, man. <laughs> I know a lot of failed marriages, <laughs> failed dreams. <laughs> this, yeah. This is probably. You know, that's where that came from. Didn't come sure. from like gold yeah, wiring. Yeah, like fifty failed marriages right here, <laughs> and the rubies look like blood. So yeah. what, what they did was it's pretty fucking dope. They made the rubies. If you could hold it up for the camera, that people mm. could see it. The rubies look like it's dipped in blood. There's black diamonds, too. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's a lot, dude. You're balling out of control, <laughs> I son. I know. I know. It's crazy. So the last, I had that one from Scooby, the CH. He made yeah. me. Never worn it since, but I wore it here. <laughs> then the last time I had, my son uh, had an ivory from a bull I killed in Arizona. He just put it on a leather strap, and that was my last podcast uh, adornment. Now, here we are. Cody Garbrandt gave me one that has my dog's face on one side. Yes. And the I saw other that. side, it has the JRE logo. I'm like, either one of them is too weird for me Carved to Carved into an ivory? No, no, no. It's solid oh. gold. Oh, solid gold. Oh, yeah. that's some intricate yeah. carbon. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> hey, no, there's no limit now, obviously. Do you got any jewelry, Vanilla? Come on, Steve. Uh-uh, no. Nothing? Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 no tattoos, no jewelry, man. What is, what are They'll you never, if, if I return up dead ring? in the lake, they won't be able to identify me. Do you have a rubber wedding ring? Do you wear one of those? Well, I, I went from regular to silicon to no, nothing. Yeah? I don't wear one anymore. You ever thought about it? My wife it? doesn't wear one very often. Oh, yeah? Uh-uh. No, don't wear one. I'd, mm. I'd yell at my wife. Yeah, but- Where the fuck are you going? Well, I know, but Put that I, leash I'm like, on. it's not like anyone comes and it's not like anyone comes and scams on me now. You know, I'm right. gonna go beyond that. I just smell like I smell like a married dude. I don't need that thing. I get it. You know? I don't know. I just always I, I don't mind wearing it. I, and I love these silicone ones. These are yeah. great. You can lift weights in them. You can do, I don't do. I do everything in them. I, I had a couple sleep. accidents with snagging it, mm. and then arced it on a battery, the metal one. Yeah. And then I got on this thing, and people were sending us all these pictures too of uh, what they call degloving, sheathing. Yeah, where you pull it off, oh. man. We got just people sending horrible pictures, like oh. guys catching them on a ladder rack on a truck, and then like jumping down. Oh. Oh, endless, and that cured me forever. That metal one. Yeah, the I, metal I kept one. the metal one in a little baggie. 
I will wear the metal one if I go to dinner with my wife. Oh, really? Or if I'm doing the UFC, I'll wear the metal one if I have a nice watch on. But I never wear it other than that. Oh, that's cute that you put it on at dinner. I'm yeah. going to do that sometime. <laughs> we do date nights. <laughs> you put your ring on. Yeah. I'm going to start doing that. Well, I always wear my, re- my, my rubber ring, but the silicone ring. But the, uh, the metal one, I'll put out. We're going out. Mm. Huh. Put a nice one on. Dude, I'm going to take that little tip, man. It's a good tip. It's a good tip for date night. Yeah. I had to use mine for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, your wife's like, where's your wedding ring? Well, yeah. you know the necklace I got? I still have it. <laughs> it's yeah. just assumed it's final form. I wear it all the time. I'm wearing it right now. <laughs> My buddy in Alaska, he had... Uh, he had his wife kept all of her jewelry in this little box, and her house burnt down. And he later went and found all that stuff, like it melted into a blob. So she she took that blob and took it to a jeweler and had that blob turned into a big old necklace. Oh. so it's just like this amorphous glob. Of, oh, to the glob with no oh, change. Oh yeah, like to this it? amorphous glob of gold that she'll put on now and then. And it was like all of her like stuff in this little pile that. Oh. Melt, yeah, melt that together. It's been a fucking hell of a fire. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, no, it was for sure. And she didn't like wear it, wear it, but she would get out and be like, oh, here's all my. You know. <laughs> all that lump. <laughs> here's all my stuff. <laughs> yeah, the jewelry thing is a weird thing. People that re- get really. One of the things we're going to do for Protect Our Parks, we've been talking about doing this, is get grills like the rappers wear. Oh, yeah. We're all going to wear grills during the podcast. <laughs> so we're going to get fitted with like diamond grills. They take yeah. like a little diamond dust and you smile like Paul Wall and you have a full mouthful of diamonds. And <laughs> I think it'd look badass. That's my next move. <laughs> <laughs> Just fangs. When yeah. I, I have a tooth that got knocked out and it's, it's like one of those calves. And one time we were drinking and I, when I was younger, we were drinking and I was trying to open a, it used to be that company that made tequila that had like a sombrero for a lid. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I was Open in one of these bottles and broke that fake tooth off. Oh, and no. all night I'm going on about how I'm getting it gold hmm. <laughs> because it's gone, you know. And all night I'm like making a plan, talking all this. And I woke up in the morning and looked in the mirror and I just wanted a white, a regular white tooth back so bad. <laughs> yeah, those things. So yeah, you opened right. it up with your tooth? Yeah, it broke that tooth and then like got fired up about getting a gold one. And uh, no, never did it. That would have been the closest thing I had toward jewelry with my gold tooth, but chickened out. <laughs> that would have looked sick. Yeah. I thought about a gold tooth for brief moments, generally while drinking. <laughs> Get they, one of them. They, yep. they have those, or they just put a little diamond on it now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My old man this. told me that during the war, guys would carry around uh, dental picks. And... He fought World War II. He said during the war they would carry it around, and you would they would go and get all the they would get the gold out of Germans' teeth <sighs> and save it up in a bag. And there were certain guys who was just into it. <sighs> I remember as a kid, I asked him like, "Hey, would they ever get it from an American?" He goes, "That'd be a good way to get shot, <laughs> but but, but yeah. they dig it out of there." Hmm. Which is a macabre business, man. Yeah, very macabre. They people used to dig up graves to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the original fillings. The silver ones. Were those lead? Don't know. Because they used to have fillings mm-hmm. that were metal. Like, And I remember people were saying, hey, those are fucking terrible for you. Like, you They know. figured it out years later. It's like yeah. living your whole life with a fishing sinker in your mouth, man. Right. Have you seen... You, you saw Shane Gillis last night. Yeah. How funny is that, dude? Oh, my God. He's hilarious. He's so funny. He had a bit about George Washington, 
and it's one of the funniest bits I've ever seen in my life. And George, it's a whole bit about going to the George Washington Museum because mm. he's, he's a real history buff. But one of the things was George Washington's teeth. Like George Washington's His teeth wooden were teeth. They, no, no, they weren't mm. wooden. They were set in lead. Oh, like is that right? the, the 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 fake thing that he had was set in lead. The top was horse teeth and the bottom was slave teeth. Whew. So they'd have teeth pulled from his slave to no. make yes, yes. And then that thing was set in lead with springs on it. And that was George Washington's teeth. Hmm. I mean, how fucking crazy is that? Nice. But but his whole bit is about how George Washington had lead poisoning. He was a fucking maniac because wow. he was at the front of the line. Horse, the donkey's <laughs> Just fucking hack. <laughs> <laughs> you have to see the bit. It's very funny. Uh, folklore notwithstanding, Washington's forced, uh, false teeth were not wooden. He obtained them instead from horses, donkeys, cows, and human beings. According to his account books, 1784, emulating some of his affluent friends, he bought nine teeth from unidentified Negroes, perhaps enslaved African Americans at his beloved Mount Vernon. The mm. price was 122 shillings. Yeah. I mean, imagine eating with that fucking monstrosity of lead in your f- and he, so he's got that in his mouth all the time oh, just yeah. getting lead poisoning hmm. that's pretty intense pretty intense having another dude's teeth in your mouth too is wild yeah i had a cadaver bone in my jaw for a while and you and you'd get little you know little pieces of it and you're always spitting out little pieces of some guy Whoa. some other you had dude it for you know? a while they took it out well, no, it just heals up. Oh. So they drill a hole in there, and they fill it full of cadaver bone. Whoa. And I asked who the dude was. You know, they can't figure out who he was. Mm. I have. You're, um, like, all over your office or whatever. You're, like, <laughs> some little chunk of a guy. You don't know. <laughs> My right knee is a cadaver ACL tendon. Huh. But it's not um, It's not anymore. What happens is it, your body re-proliferates it. Yeah. So it just acts as a scaffolding. And then mm. your body just fills it in with its own tissue. They ever, they, give actually, you, they ever give you info about the person? No, no. I just don't get me a Viking. Get me some fucking yeah. gigantic dude who's <laughs> been swinging a battle axe his whole life. Yeah. The, uh, they actually use the Achilles tendon, though, because it's much thicker than uh, the uh. original ACL. It's like 150% stronger than an initial ACL. But I would do that operation again in a heartbeat. I've always told everybody, I've had my knees done both ways. I had my left knee done with a patella tendon graft, which was the most painful and took forever to recover from. And then I had my right knee done with a cadaver graft. It was way easier. I went to a party five days after the operation with no crutches, no nothing. Hmm. I just put a brace on and walked. And I was like, this feels fine. Hmm. I mean, it was do- obviously unstable, I guess. It was weaker, so I, c- I put the brace on. But uh, it was, I, was, I could walk around. Like, it was, was not that big a deal. The first one, I was in fucking agony for months, hmm. at least weeks. Because they, they have to saw. What they do is they take your patella tendon, which is a very large, thick tendon. You don't need all of that. And they take a strip of it. And then they like, take it. Like peeling string cheese. Yeah, exactly. You know? And then they take a chunk of your kneecap and a chunk of your shin. So they pull that out. And then they open you up like a fish. And then they screw it in at the top and screw it in the bottom. And that's your new ACL. Hmm. So it's a part of your huh. body. So your body accepts uh-huh. it. It's not like a, another person's tissue, which you know could be a, an issue. Your body might reject it. 
And then, you know, it takes a long-ass time before you can even get on your knees again. It took, like, a year before it doesn't bother me to, like, be on my knees. You know, like, if you're hammering something or something. I, I couldn't get on that knee. It was just so fucking painful. Because, mm. you know, you got a hole there and a hole in the kneecap. But it all fills in eventually. Hmm. Well. Both of them are fine now. But if I had to tell people if they're going to get the operation, get the fucking cadaver. Get that dead dude. That's risky now. What if you get a, a vegan that's vaccinated cadaver? <laughs> Your knee's gonna blow it's out just like flimsy. every day, every day, <laughs> like flimsy string cheese. Like when your bowstring is getting frayed, yeah. you're like, damn, should I replace this? <laughs> like when your D loop is fucking vegan, uh, screwed me on this, uh, on this ligament. Yeah, poor vegans, man. Boy, yeah. they, you want to talk about people that have been sold a bill of goods? Not very durable, are they? It's not just that. It's like there's so much propaganda that that is good for you. And there's so much evidence that it's not. And this mindset that these fucking people have where they're just like they believe the China study. They believe meat causes cancer. I've had conversations with people. We try to be rational with them. Like if meat really caused cancer, do you know that 95% of the people on earth eat meat? Mm -hmm. Like look at all the cancer. Yeah, but look at all the other food they eat. Do you understand how yeah. epidemiology studies work? Like when yeah. they, you know, when they have these arguments, no one ever takes it to this like rational conclusion. Like what? what they, do you know how they work? The epidemiology studies. No. When they when they say like if they say there's been a correlation between high consumption of red meat and cancer. Oh yeah. People eat red meat five times a week are much more likely than people. What are they eating with it? Mm-hmm. Mm. They don't Fries. take that into effect because it's not a real study. It's yeah. bullshit. What they're doing is just trying to come up with some biased interpretation of data that makes it seem more likely that meat is killing you. I was trying to explain uh, correlation, causation, yeah. all that to my kid the other night. I was telling him about s- stuff like this, like uh, education levels and divorce rates, right? I'm like, no, no one's going to untangle what it is. But you can look at these things and see that there's something going on, but no one knows exactly what, right? Yeah. So with this stuff like that, it's like, so did you eat a lot of meat? Uh huh. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, yeah. And what, what form? Where? What were you doing? It's not even what yeah. form. It's what else are you eating? Yeah. If they're only looking for red meat, so they're they're asking you in these studies, like, how many days a week do you eat red meat? And then you say five, and they say, well, we've gathered up all the data, and the people that eat red meat five days a week are much more likely to have cancer. Yeah, but most people who eat red meat are eating burgers. And they're eating burgers from like Jack in the Box or yeah, whatever, yeah. where you get this bullshit bun, you get these fries that are made in seed oil, you're probably washing it down with a Coca-Cola, you're flooding your body with unnatural levels of sugar and these carbohydrates that are all processed with folic acid and bullshit, and they're fucking terrible for you. Yeah. And your gut is just inflamed and your whole body's freaked out. And then do you smoke cigarettes? And do you drink alcohol? And do you... Live near a fucking power line. Like, there's, like, so, there's, so, there's so many factors that lead you to... If it was just, like... I want to see a study on people who eat wild game or grass-fed beef and just fucking vegetables. Yeah. Like, are those studies... Like, I bet those folks aren't getting, like, high instances of cancer. You know, yeah. Cancer is, like... There's a lot of environmental factors. There's a lot of, a lot of genetic factors. There's a lot of things that lead people to get cancer. It's not just what you eat. But... When they say meat, like, what else are you eating? Why are you blaming meat? Well, what I used to do is go to McDonald's. So, yeah, I had red meat because in the burger, two plain hamburgers, large fry, 
apple pie, uh, Diet Coke, and a milkshake. <laughs> Just think about all the bullshit so, yeah. in there. And so, they're like, do you eat a lot of meat? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Blame the meat. <laughs> right. It was like, look at, to your point, look at all that other shit, yeah. sugar and carbs. And exactly. O- that oil and that meal right there would probably kill you. Yeah. And some people... It's the same people going through McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's every mm-hmm. single day getting their go-to. Yeah, so those are the people that you're asking about, do you eat red meat? Yeah. And of course they are, but look at all. But yeah, I just got my blood test yesterday from, I get it tested every once in a while. And my numbers are phenomenal. I eat meat five times a day. Yeah. I mean, I'm eating meat all day, all wild game meat though. I so. found that people also have... I was talking this the other day with my buddy Seth where people also have a tendency to um, find – there's so much conflicting dietary information that people also will find something aligns with their aesthetic. Yeah. Right? The, or that aligns with their political sensibility, meaning um, someone – you know, if your general tendency is to be opposed to – meat production, certain agricultural practices, and you see an article where it says, you know, high meat diet correlates with cancer, they're going to read that with great enthusiasm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, confirmation Because yes. they're going to be like, oh, this lines up with a bunch of shit I already think. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, and so when we were talking about this, we were trying to, I was sort of teasing out, right, like, I like to have a garden, I like to hunt, and I look with fondness upon data that suggests that eating like fresh veggies and meat is really good for you. And it definitely feels good, but I'm sort of like, am I, you know what I mean? Do I make the same mistake that, that I tease other people for making? Like if I read some study that said, you know, eating mule deer is, you know, the best thing you can possibly do, I'd be like, no, that's my kind of study. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it, it just makes logical sense. Yeah, it does, you, you for sure. You understand the building blocks of human beings and, like, what's necessary to promote, you know, all the things that you need that only come from animal tissue, B12, collagen. There's, like, there's so much stuff that you can get from meat that you're just not going to get from anywhere else. So whenever I see an athlete that starts going on a vegan diet – I look at it the same way as like a snake handler. Like, okay, let's see how this plays yeah, out. Yeah, what would it plays out? You're gonna get bit. Plays, it's gonna it's gonna take some time. Plays it's out like, the same every time. I always, it's like I have a friend, uh, and he was like, "My girlfriend's gonna let me do threesomes." The moment I hear things like that, <laughs> I that's have my this kind of exact, article. The that- exact same feeling <laughs> as like someone coming up to me saying, "Hey, man, I started making my own bombs." Like, like, like that's yeah. A, this, yeah, this is not going to work out. I know, I know a guy that went through something like what you're talking about. It, you know, and I remember when he broke it out for me about like some like deal he had arrived at in his marriage. <laughs> <laughs> it looks good on paper. Like, I can't, Fuck, I've never seen yeah, an example once. I can't tell you how I know, but I could just tell you that this is not a good. <laughs> Work. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you if you just sketch it out right here, it yeah. might look all right. Yeah, it's not. She's gonna kill you in your sleep, bro. This is not gonna work. None of this is real. God, get out now. Oh, yeah. yeah, but you know the the vegan diet thing. It's just it's so unfortunate that people have been. It's like it's such a. I I get how you could come to this sort of idea, 
where if you just eat vegetables, then you're not as responsible for killing. But one of the real problems is, well, first of all, there's the real problem of farming. You know, that if, especially industrial monocrop agriculture. Goddamn, they kill a lot of things to get that crop out. They mm. kill they kill everything that's in the ground when they're using the combines. They use people to kill groundhogs. They're killing all the varmints and gophers and everything gets fucking killed, right? We all know that. Ground nesting birds, fawns get chewed up. There's a lot of things that happen. But then on top of that, there's emerging evidence that plants have intelligence. That not only do they have intelligence, but they communicate through the mycelium in the ground. Hmm. And that <clears throat> they they share resources. Like they allocate resources towards plants that need it more. Mm-hmm. There's 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 evidence that they communicate with each other. Like for instance, like the acacia tree, which <clears throat> there's there's trees in Africa where when giraffes eat them, if they're downwind, the other trees that are downwind will start producing a potent chemical that makes their leaves taste like shit mm-hmm. so that they know that they're getting chewed on by, you know, oh my God, there's a giraffe in the neighborhood, start tasting like shit. And mm-hmm. so they release chemicals. I mean, how insane is that? Yeah. They, not only is it that, but they have now shown that they can play recordings of water, of uh, insects oh, okay. eating the leaves. And if they play those recordings next to the plant, the plant will start producing those toxic chemicals mm-hmm. that so, make them taste bad. So uh, I've read that about willows. I never checked to see how like valid it is, but that that a willow will send root tendrils in the direction of the sound of running water. That makes sense. No, no, that's cool. Sorry, counted me to step over you, Sam. <clears throat> oh no, no, I was just saying. So it's it's sound, and also you said. Before you said it was downwind. Yeah, so downwind it's, too. It's scent and sound. It's it's a bunch of things that they don't understand because mm. they don't have noses. You know, like they don't have ears. Like how how does the sound of caterpillars eating leaves change the the chemical structure of these plants? Like how are they knowing? Okay, time to let loose the yeah. poison. How are they, how are they getting it because they're downwind? But yeah. it gets so bad that animals, some animals that try to eat them, they wind up starving to death because they don't want to eat this stuff because it tastes that bad. Mm. You're, uh, I can see where you're going with this is that sometime down the road, there's going to be some tough decisions for people who are looking for general, yeah, well, like uh, not wanting to harm, yeah, creatures, yeah. If you're and looking- when you have to face the fact that here's this like semi-sentient communicative plant that you're yanking out of the ground. It just can't move quick. And it does move. And if you watch high-speed images of of plants growing, you know, and moving with the breeze, you're like, oh, it's just a different kind of movement. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's clearly growing. Like, it grows forever. It's not even like another animal. It's kind of more fantastic because it'll grow for 100 fucking years and keep growing. Or if you go to, like, some of those... Crazy um, in Northern California, those trees that have been around for a thousand years. Yeah. It's wild shit, man. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, like you know, I'll hunt all manner of stuff. And I used to work as a tree surgeon and would fell trees. But at our place in Southeast Alaska, which is in the uh, coastal rainforest, and we're in an area of old growth where our stuff's at. Um. I'm not con- like in no way condemning people to do. I would not be able to put a chainsaw on one of those trees. Yeah, like the, you know, what I mean, like we like everyone finds their sort of limits, 
and when I'm looking at some tree that's whatever, four or 500 years old, yeah, I personally, you know, I could kill a bear without thinking about it. Not without thinking about it, but yeah, I can kill a bear and be real happy I did. Man, just I personally couldn't put a saw to one of those trees. Yeah. So people, you know, you find these, you, you find these lines. Well, there's also the renewable resource of bears. You know, if you're going to kill a bear and eat a bear, that bear's nine years old. Nine years is not that big a deal. Yeah, ain't 400. That's, yeah, I mean, there was a, I was in Scotland recently, mm-hmm. and they they had this tree, like, this is the oldest tree that, that you know, is in Europe. And I was like, how old is this fucking tree? And like, it's like a 5,000-year-old tree. I'm like, how is that possible? Yeah, it's incredible. See if you can find that, like, the I oldest that. tree in Scotland. It was a crazy, gnarled-up-looking, fucked-up tree. I was like, how old? I'm, I might be wrong with the age, but it was crazy old. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, like, how do you know? How do you know how old this is? When you go to Europe, Scotland was amazing. I took this trip with my wife, and we went to visit these sites where they have these stone circles that are older than Stonehenge. Mm. And they're, like, right in front of this dude's house. <laughs> like, this dude has a house, and then there's a small street, like a two-lane street, 5,000 years old. Yeah, yeah. 5,000. A yew tree. Yeah. Google said it's two to three thousand years old. Okay, mm-hmm. so the sign says three thousand. Well, back when they made that sign, what kind of fucking carbon dating did they have? You know, some dude look looked, that he goes, Some dude said, "Man, that tree must be five thousand years old." Put that on the sign. Look at the f- image of it. That's what it looked like. See the image yeah, of it to the yeah. right, Jamie. To the uh, no, slightly to the left of that. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's exactly what it looked like. Mm. But that one's a thousand year old. North Downs in Surrey. So that's in England. Yeah, fuck but, that ugly tree. That, that tree looks dope. <laughs> It looks dope. That's not a, that's not the tree Steve was talking about. I think those they are, look cool. No, that trees. tree looks old. You know, <laughs> yeah. That tree looks like a gnarly old man. Yeah, yeah. like some old dudes. I'll tell you what it was like when we rode horses <laughs> everywhere. Hey, so Steve, I was gonna, I was thinking like, so what's the what's the difference between the, a person who you said you wouldn't like to cut that tree or you wouldn't? Just, and then, yeah, like but like I said, not. Not, I, I don't say that to condemn, you know, I mean, I don't say that to cast judgment on, right. you know, a logger that does. I'm just saying like, I personally. No, yeah. I understand that. But then there's some people who take that to, the, I'm just trying to, I don't know, reason with myself. Because around here, we've had people chain themselves to trees. Sure. You know what I mean? So did, would you do that? No. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. It's like, I mean. No, because the passion's not that. <laughs> right. There's a the, the passion's there, but it's not that deep. Right. I, yeah, it's just, it's weird thinking about, I understand what you're saying. And I totally get that. Yeah. I, I would probably, I think I've never cut down a tree. I've never been a tree surgeon, but I would probably feel the same. About maybe a four or five hundred year old. Oh, tree. Yeah. I might be like, you know, man, Cam, you cut it down. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in Northern California, I, I don't want to have to deal with any repercussions. Right. Come out of we were this. in the redwood forest, and there's a tree that you drive a car through. Yeah, yeah. They've cut a hole in the tree, and I was like, why did they do that? But it was like 1920 or yeah, something when yeah. they did it. Yeah, they didn't you know, care about anything. They didn't then. give a fuck. No. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're around those trees, they're so big. It's it's so crazy yeah. how wide they are, and when they're gone. That's it. You just chop down something that took thousands of years to grow so you could make, what, a fucking table? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of trees that are like 20 years old. Go kill those. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a tough one, man. It's a tough one looking at those trees, but it does seem like, uh, you know, some of those trees you look at, it's like you're looking at, it almost seems like some approximation of God, you know, to look at some of those old trees, man, just astounding. Yeah. Yeah. 
we that's in Oregon that was a big thing because we had the spotted owls in late 80s basically and spotted owls lived in old growth so we had the the whatever timber activists or whoever sure, those yeah. people spiking are. trees yeah. And, yeah and or living in them they'd like well we live here or we chain ourselves to them but they were up there and so the loggers would get there to cut you know do their cut and there's people living in the trees yeah that to, one gal spent her name was a, like a butter. Yeah. Joe's probably had her on the show. <laughs> I would have her on the show. It was like Butterfly yeah, or something, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I guess my point is it's like you got people, whatever their passions are, they will go to the ends. You know, like yeah. we, we defend hunting till the end, right? Yeah. That's our passion. That's what we love. But, yeah, it's like all these different factions of people that, man, you'd have a hard time saying you're wrong and believing that because that's just what they believe. That's their passion. Yeah. So it's like finding that middle ground. You know, the one thing that I never really thought of until I started hunting was the spiritual aspect of hunting. That's it's in it's a part of it that it's almost indisputable when you experience it, like when you first experience it, when you first start eating an animal that you like the first time you ever took me hunting. When we were in Montana, mm-hmm. and I remember when I was eating that mule deer, and we we're sitting over the fire, and I was like, "This is so different than any meal I've ever had in my life. It's so different. I feel so connected to this animal. I know how difficult it was to do this. I know how insane their life is. That this is this wild creature that is one hundred percent going to die soon, no matter what. If it's next year or the year after or the year after that, it doesn't have much time left." And if you can move in while, you know, dip your toe into the wild and extract that thing out. To me, that was like, oh, this is the best way to eat meat ever. This is 20, 30 times better Mm -hmm. than just getting a steak from a store. I remember when we were sitting around the fire, and you're like, what do you think? And I'm like, I'm doing this forever. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. What, what year was I that? I don't remember that specific that conversation. Was that was 12 years ago. ago. Oh, was it really? 12 years 10 ago. years ago, yeah. 12, 2012. Okay, and then you bow hunted in 2014. Yes. Okay, so you, so did you kill? I is, have two people it, in this room that introduced me to hunting, and that's our Montana mule deer yeah, right that's there. Our, that's well, him. him. That's him. Yeah. That's the Someone one lost the nose bones. No, the ones out there? Yeah. Well, he's missing his, too. Yeah. You need to shake Jamie down. He might have a pocket full of those nose bones. <laughs> I think they, I think they, they boil it out too long. I think is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, always so glue, I always glue them back in. But anyways, sorry. But that guy is very special to me. Mm-hmm. That guy is very special. First to me. kill. And I remember when we were eating him over the fire, I was resorting my schedule. I was like, okay, how many times a year can I hunt now? Okay, how much? How long is it going to take to <laughs> eat a, the first, a deer? Uh-huh. First time, right away, mm. eating it over the fire, like right away. I was mm. like, oh, I'm doing this forever. This is what I do now. Mm. Like right away, I was like, okay, now I got to really research like calibers and rifles and how to do this mm-hmm. and how to do that. I got to up my cardio. I got to start hiking hills. I started thinking all these things like immediately. Yeah, and I started planning out. Okay, I'd every I got to hunt every four months. Like, what can you hunt? I got to get pigs because then you can hunt them all year round. Immediately, my brain starts spinning. Like, okay, this is what I do now. I was yeah. like, okay, I found it. I've taken quite a number of people on their first hunting trips. I've never had. I mean, probably dozens, maybe dozens. Either way, I've never had any of them regret it. Like, no one's ever said, I wish I hadn't done that. But I would say the majority, definitely a a good, strong majority, did not pursue it. Didn't regret it, glad they did it, but didn't make it part of life. Well, it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult, you know, and that's the thing I think that 
is the impediment for a lot of people. It's like time consuming. It, if you don't have someone like you or someone like you to teach them, like I have friends that are like, hey, I want you to take me hunting. I'm like, oh, Christ. Mm-hmm. I don't have the time. I want to go bow hunting. I'm like, do you know what you're saying? <laughs> do you know what you're saying? Yeah. Like, I just want you to come with me one day and watch what I do fucking every day. Yeah. Where I'm, I'm going out through that with my like kid right now. I'm going through that with my kid where my older kid's very interested in bow hunting, but it's just, I'm like, man, you have to appreciate the level of discipline, dude, that you got to to shoot, right? Like, I'm perpetually rusty. Like, you can't be like me. Right. And and I actually pulled the plug on him this year where I, I said, if you shoot every day, like he'd been shooting throughout the summer. I said, if you shoot every day prior to this week, we're going to go bow hunt. I said, I want you to shoot every day prior to the week. And he didn't do it. And I said, we're not going. And I'll see if next year that impacts him. Mm. But it's like the discipline. Mm-hmm. It's you know? unfortunate, but I think, you know, there's no way to teach someone that. There's no way to really, like, get it into their head how hard it is unless they're in the field and they're drawing on an animal. And then they realize, like, unless – there's some ways to mitigate that. Like, you've had Joel Turner on, which I, you have, you've had him on, right? No. You never had Joel Turner on? No. The Shot IQ guy? No, I'd like to, but never oh, did. Oh, yeah. i got to connect you. Do, yeah. you. do you have his number? Do you – no, but I'm familiar with that. I've, he's been recommended by many people, and the guys I work with are familiar, but I haven't had him on. He's absolutely got— And you've recommended a, him to yes. me. Yeah. He's got a—there's a, a thing that happens when you're in a high-pressure situation that I recognize from martial arts and from a lot of other things where you do not have full control of your faculties, mm-hmm. and your body is operating on anxiety and, and adrenaline. And when it's completely unique, like a bow hunting thing, where you have hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of preparation and thinking about it for seconds of action, and it boils down to this one movement where you're like, yikes, if you don't have a strategy for managing your mental state while that's happening, mm-hmm. the odds of you flinching or moving or doing something stupid are really, really, really high. And Joel Turner went through that for like fucking 15 years. He like couldn't kill an elk. Struggled with always himself. choking. Yeah. And then when he became a SWAT instructor, when he was, you know, he's on a SWAT team. So he... He's literally, like, he was telling me this one story where he had to shoot this guy that was holding a young girl hostage. And, like, I think it was with a weapon. I forget, a knife or something. And so he has a headshot while this guy is holding on to a girl. And he had to figure out, like, what are the, what is the mental process that allows people to flinch and panic during these moments? And he realized it's the difference between open loop systems and closed loop systems. And the open loop system is something like swinging a baseball bat. Like once you start swinging, you're just swinging. Mm. You're just, wah! You know, you're swinging. And unfortunately, with a lot of people, that is the initial reaction. They just go. Yeah, I get it. Like the final thought you have is that you're going to swing the bat. Yeah, go. I don't don't know if a professional, I don't know if a friend of mine's a, you know, a real home run hitter. I don't know if he would agree, but in my mind, yeah, it's like you've decided to swing, and everything else is just nothing. Well, you're <laughs> right? not going to stop it in the middle of the swing. Yeah, and you're not. You're not thinking about. Oh, I'm going to go a little higher, a little yeah. lower, right? It's like punching. Yeah, punching when you're when you're fighting. Punching comes. It's an automatic movement. Like you slide back, and you don't even realize what's happening. You're already punching, mm-hmm. and you're not going to stop that punch once you've launched your yeah. shoulder yeah. forward. And when you're 
using his system, he has you talking to yourself through every step of it. So you're always conscious. Mm. So it's always a closed loop system. You're in complete control at any step you could stop. And he's like, sometimes the best shot is a shot you don't take. When you realize you're shaking, you're holding too long, let down. That's the best decision you could ever make. If you get your mind to like, just shoot now, just go now, and you're now. And we've all seen people. There's so <laughs> oh, many videos online. Dude, I've been there. My, uh, yeah. Yeah, everybody has. Yeah. But there's a way to mitigate that with this. So it's not just the practice. The practice is great. You have to practice. I practice constantly. But you also should have a pre-shot routine. And I actually used Cam's pre-shot routine when I was in Utah. Because I remember Cam had this thing where he's saying, keep the pin on him, keep the pin on him. And you say that yeah. while you're shooting. Keep mm -hmm. the pin on him, keep the pin on him. I just know if I keep the pin there, it's gonna, yeah. arrow's going to hit good. Yeah. What happens is people drop their bow arm a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens a lot is that drop that bow arm and they hit too low. Right. So if you keep that pin there. Bo's gonna do his oh, job. you're saying be conscious. You're telling yourself himself. be conscious of keeping the pin on it through the shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not moving because the the moving thing is like I hope I hit it. Yeah. I hope I hit it. Ah! The things go left, right, fucking three, four feet. And you're like how? You know where people realize that they have a problem is after they make a shitty shot. Yeah, and they're just like, why didn't I practice more? Why didn't I yeah. listen to Joel or Joe or whoever? Yeah, because. Then that's then it's real because we have a, a tendency of making things work out in our head the way we want them to. And then when it doesn't work out like that because we haven't yeah. put in the time or we don't have a process down and maybe you hit the animal bad, maybe you miss, <laughs> maybe, you know, just shit the bed. And then you're just like, God, what is my what am I doing? Yeah. But up until then, you're like, you're the baddest person ever. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I'm, yeah that's, of course, I'm going to make a great shot. That's an interesting thing between. In talking to people that blow a shot with a rifle and talking to people that blow a shot with a bow, people will blow a shot with a rifle and they'll assure you they did everything right. Guns on. No one yeah. blows a shot with a bow and comes away saying, I don't know what happened. I did everything right. Because uh, you yeah. fall into like you fall in like you're saying, you fall into this like despair and yeah. guilt and you're trying to review in your head. I've like I've accidentally landed on a thing that's not fail safe, but somehow when you're saying, like, keep the pin on them, I've landed on this thing, like, like remember your elbow, remember your elbow. Mm. And if I remember to, like, because when I'm shooting, just practicing, I'm always, there's always this thing of, like, like sort of consciously being aware of having my elbow raised. Mm. And that makes everything fall on the line. And so if, I'm, if I know I'm going to get a shot, and I can think, like, if you'll do the part. The elbow? If you do the part, and then that elbow goes up, and then everything else sort of, like, takes care of itself mm -hmm. you know and then I'll, if i take a shot i might review in my mind like i never did that thing <laughs> I, never, I never did the elbow deal yeah. you know which drives all the other actions it's, it's, it's imperfect but it's similar to what you're talking about yeah, there's something about staying in a conscious state and being able to maintain your composure during that high pressure situation maintaining a conscious state where you're talking yourself through it and not just a, a, just being a reptile, you know, mm -hmm. rah, you know just people going, black out. Kind they black out. They, they really know. do. They don't know yeah. what. Like, I don't know what happened. Yeah. I don't know what happened. Yeah. I think you use it up. Maybe I felt that if anything, um, just a gradual dissipation with age and experience, perhaps experience for sure. I'd be curious if some if some dude started like if some dude at sixty years old, you know, some dude at sixty years old started bow hunting. Are they going to wig out like a 20-year-old? 
on their first shot? Depends on who they are. Or is there something that's like their brain's already chilled out? I think there's a part of your brain that, like, you know, there's a there's a part of your brain that Andrew Huberman talks about. I forget what the exact uh, that section. Grows. Yeah, yeah. That when you force yourself to do things you don't want to do, when mm-hmm. you force yourself to get up in the morning and run in the cold and get in the <laughs> cold plunge and all these different, it literally grows larger. This part of your brain that is able to do things that are uncomfortable Got that it. you don't want to do actually grows larger. And it seems to be that that's a muscle just like every other muscle. Not a muscle, but a thing that is more robust with use. And if you're a 60-year-old guy that's just been working in an office and listening to the boss and driving home and, you know, there's no stress. No, no, like, not stress, but no high-pressure decision-making in-the-moment choices that you have come accustomed to managing and 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 dealing with and negotiating if you're if you're a person if you're a person that's like fucking gone to war and you know maybe you've had like some crazy high pressure job and you're 60 you probably got fucking ice water running through your veins yeah, yeah. by the time you're 60 years old you're like you've seen it all so it depends on the human yeah. mm-hmm. but for most people that like you know like there's got like Derek Wolf you met Derek Wolf you oh, yeah. on your podcast I mean, you're talking about a guy that like has fucking played professional football at the highest level, and even he says it's the most exciting shit that he's ever done. Like I've told Cam like so many times, dude, I've done a lot of shit. I've I've fought. I do stand up comedy. I do all, so many live things that are like high pressure. Nothing is like elk hunting. Yeah. There's nothing like that moment <laughs> when you're drawing and that thing is like <clears throat> in the field and it's it drops his head down at 50 yards and starts eating and you draw back and you got the you're like is this happening? Is this really going on uh-huh. right now? Like, ah! It's so yeah. pressure filled. It's it's so it's such a novel and unique moment that unless you have a bunch of those moments, like. I'm at the point now, you know, uh, 10 years into bow hunting, where when I draw on an animal, I can keep my shit together. Yep. And now to me, it's just like making sure I'm steady and the shot's good. There's nothing weird going on. There's no weird wind. or, And I just go through my process and I'm very confident now. But it's numbers. It's numbers. Like if you, I always tell people like, the more things that you can shoot, the better. And you could shoot pigs. You shoot things that people have to kill. You know, if you can go to Lanai where you can get, like, multiple shot opportunities on axis deer, that kind of situation. That's, for me, the difference between, like, how I feel in September during elk season and, like, some years where I feel great and super confident, it's always that I went on a couple other hunts. Yep. It's always. Like, so you get that experience. This is how I used to feel fighting, too. Like if I got like one, a couple times I got injured and I couldn't fight for like six months and then I'd fight, but it almost like it was like brand new again. Like when I'd be in there, like, whoa, this is crazy. The first time you see people fight, they're in a panic. It's like you can't believe it's actually happening. Mm-hmm. You're like, are you ready? And you're like, yes. You know, like, like, <laughs> and they get out there. And if you're an experienced person, it's one of the reasons why like champions have such a massive advantage. They have this, such a massive psychological advantage because they're the champion. And they've been like, you would see guys when they would fight Mike Tyson, they had already lost by the time they got in there. They look at him like, oh my God, what is happening? Is this real? Like their whole world was like that big. And they were just in a full like panic and they just well, couldn't fight. You know, that's, that's kind of similar to how people feel bow hunting elk for the first time. I 100%. mean, that bull's coming in. Yeah. They're, they they lost. Yeah, when that bull's coming in <laughs> and it's coming to twenty yards, it's just like there's 
there's a chance, but I remember the first time we had a, your first bow hunt, we were in Colorado. The two bulls were coming in on this little tight creek we were in, this little draw, coming in at the same time, and they were just bugling, and it was insane. Not even big bulls, but just coming in and closing down on us. And do you remember that moment? Yeah. You were just like, it was unbelievable. It's even so though nuts. all the shit that you've done, this yeah. high level crazy stuff, that there was nothing that compared to that. The screaming. Mm-hmm. When you're there and they're like 30 yards doing that, like the sound is so nuts. Like if you're not a person that's ever been around elk calling, when they do it, when they bugle, it sounds like Lord of the Rings, man. Yeah. It's such yeah, it a can crazy get sound. Yeah, it's so crazy. It can be intimidating if yeah. you're not ready for it. Uh, there's a thing Derek Wolf told me when you're talking about uh, the stress and competitive stress. He told me a thing that had never occurred to me before. He talked about getting in the ring to fight Mike Tyson or whatever. Is in in his thing. You're also there's a thing where you can get you're starstruck. Yeah. Like picture you're an incoming player, okay, and you're real young. And all of a sudden, you're like, "Hold on, I'm supposed to go tackle Tom Brady, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who I've been watching, right? I've been watching my, my through my whole like coming up through high school, yeah. coming through college, and all of a sudden, like, wow, that's him, yeah. <laughs> There's the goat, right? You gotta sort of put that out of your head, right? right? You're like, you want to be like, hey, tight, let me get his interview, <laughs> then I'll come, let me get his autograph, then I'll come back, and then I'll tackle him." <laughs> Yeah, like yeah. I mean, the goat. You've heard how you know he's the best to ever do it, and yeah. then all of a sudden it's like almost like you know I'm a big fan. I'd like to meet you. <laughs> Sorry for having to do this. But isn't that also the case with bow hunters, where like you've been hunting your whole life, hoping to see a two uh, two hundred inch buck, mm-hmm. and then one day you're in the mountains and this mule deer steps out. You're like, <gasps> yeah, like this is it. You're imagining taking the photo, smiling on Instagram. You're imagining you see this wide mule deer buck like. This this is crazy. This is a real one. I can make this happen. You're like, <laughs> everything is just full panic. I re- Clay Newcomb just did a Bear Grease episode about a guy, a, a poacher, and he interviews the guy at length. And th- this guy played softball on a army base. They had like an athletic complex. And a couple of times he sees this giant buck, and the people were aware of this giant buck. And he was trying to figure out if it was possible to kill it as he calls it, kill it right or kill it legal. And one day he just happens to have his bow in his car and sees it not anywhere he's supposed to hunt. And the way he describes it, he describes it like he was out of his out of his body. And he shoots it. And the minute it falls over, he thinks, you'll never get away with this. Oh, God. But he lo- not only Where like, was he? Not only lost, I, can't, I think he's in Missouri. Yeah, Missouri. So was he in the wrong unit or was he on, no, he was on a military? He was on a military base where you're not even, you can't hunt. Oh, wow. And not only like losing, not only losing your mind as you're drawn back, he lost his mind in the whole thing, getting his bow out of his <laughs> thing and kills the buck. Hmm. And then he, the minute he kills it, it occurs, <laughs> occurs to what he's done. Well, so what did he do? It's a whole episode. It's two episodes about just it's horrible. What wow. happened. I mean, I, I, you got to walk a real fine line. I mean, he did like, as he admits, you know, I mean, he did he did a criminal act. And it's not like sympathetic of the criminal act, but it's a, it winds up being a story of the unraveling of someone's life about just a mistake but but being that that ain't that sort of lust for that animal right i guess we should be thankful that Derek wolf never saw tom brady out of pizza then 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Could just freaking light him up, sack him. Yeah, yeah right. Great. I got him. I got him. Imagine that. He's what in line doing? in front of you at Burger King. You just fucking go for it. I lost my mind. It was Tom Brady. I just fucking. I don't know. I've just been programmed to tackle him. Yeah. No, but Did that. I, I think I was thinking back too on. You said when you're not ready for it. My the, my first two years, my first year bow hunting, my first year rifle hunting. I was 15 when I was rifle hunting. We did this drive. We used to do drives, right? You know, oh, not, hell yeah. Not really man, hitting I'll talk pan. drives with you all night. Yeah, <laughs> not really hitting pans, but not far from it. So you send the guys and then put the whoever the shooters on the stand. Anyway, oh, can I ask you real quick? Did you call yeah. them? What were the names you used? We, have, we debate this all the time. What? Who was, okay, what were the terms you used? Pushers, sitters? Yeah, that was it. Okay, use yeah, pushers and yeah. sitters. Or, it's, it's very regional. Or on the stand. Like it, oh, on like, the stand? Yeah, you're, you're on the stand, and then we're pushing to you. Okay, yeah. But So I was there, had this, uh, let's see, 300 Savage, just old gun, but 15 years old, doing the push. Okay, go here. I didn't even know if I was in the right spot. I'm just like, God, I'm by myself. <laughs> just don't know anything. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I look up, and here's this buck giant mule deer i i don't know how big it was but it looked and i was just like (laughs) shot no clue i don't know i never probably never saw it in the scope it was like probably seemed like from me to you and i was just like had no idea what happened was Uh, i prepared to kill that buck hell no so i killed a spike buck like the next day right and that's how it works you're not ready for a giant right then same thing with bow hunting first day bow hunting this giant bull comes out seven by six roosevelt first day i i'm like sit on kneeling in this logging road felt like my arms were asleep they're tingling i'm like i didn't know if i could draw this bow back he's broadside head to the right but to the left and i shoot at it's like right at 40 yards and i miss behind his butt mm-hmm. so i'm off like six feet at 40 <laughs> yards and then end up killing a spike bull so yeah. it's just it's you're just not ready for those the giant you know mm-hmm. but that's where I think Joel Turner comes into play because I don't know if he could have helped me I don't know if he could have helped <laughs> I mean at, at that time he'd have had to been like give me that bow <laughs> it, it, yeah it probably wouldn't you, you probably weren't totally ready for that at that moment but if you have a certain level of proficiency and a certain amount of experience in, in mitigating high pressure situations mm-hmm. then yeah. I think you could get right because I see, I've been teaching a lot of people to shoot a bow for the first time on the lift run shoot show that I do Joel Turner isn't in a tell them anything no <laughs> i mean it's like there's so many basics yeah. you have to get before that oh, but yeah as you said once you get that routine down and you're kind of more seasoned then i think that can that closed loop open loop then that would make more sense it was so attractive to me when i first started shooting a bow i was like god there are so many you get lost in this mm-hmm. like there's so much going on just in your yard when you're just shooting at a target there's so much mental and physical and there's so many things that have to align like i have a checklist that i have on my phone that before i go hunting like when i'm on the plane flying to where i'm going i look at my notes on my phone and i go over my checklist and i bounce it around it's in your my process head. Stuff. yeah i have a, a shot process. not like boots socks no no no, oh, no 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 i get all that <laughs> that that i'm terrible with too i just stuff everything in there i'm like i think i got it all in there 
Um, I really need to organize it. Like if I was going to go on like you one take of those way more than you need. A hundred percent. If I was going to go on like one of those uh, backpacking mountain hunts where you're carrying your whole camp on your back and you're mm-hmm. walking in for fucking twenty miles, I'd be the guy that has like the eighty pound pack because yeah. I threw in extra batteries and extra broadheads in case that happens. And Hiding you, stuff in the bushes on your way up. <laughs> two <laughs> knives so just in case. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Meanwhile, like Adam Greentree has been doing it forever. That motherfucker saws his toothbrushes in half yeah. to cut weight. You like would, he's got it down to a science. You would do that one time. One time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how you learn that. Everybody's learned, learned that. So my process for packing is just fucking shove it all in there. And mostly, likely, I always have two range finders and two binos in case I drop something. And, you know, remember that time we were hunting in Canada and I broke my rest? I my do. rest snapped. I but do. I had a whisker biscuit. I was ready. I was like, Ha! Oh, he was, good. Yeah, that's good. He was uh-huh. being obsessive out there with his rest, just like wrenching on it for hours and changing and doing all this and end up stripping something out because he's like <laughs> got too crazy on the rest. Well, it was fucking up on me. <laughs> yeah. It was fucking yeah. up. The rest wasn't dropping all the way. Uh-huh. And it, so like my arrow was catching it. Like the fletchings were catching. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, look at my rest. It's like slightly up above the riser. Like, God damn it, something fucking getting in here. And then, doing. Oh, no. Oh, no. But whisker biscuits, man, I know they take a couple of seconds away from your feet per second, but boy, are those fucking easy to tone. Oh, yeah, it's a lot less uh, lot less little stuff to go wrong. For I sure. know some fucking yeah. high level hunters still use whisker biscuits just because they don't want to fuck around with anything. It's like for that hunt, it's perfect. You're going to be shooting at 10 or 20 yards, mm-hmm. you know, or a, or a whitetail hunter. They're shooting at 20 yards. Yeah. So if you're going to be shooting long distance, a fletch going through with all that contact through the through the whisker, basically, that's going to impact long distance. Well, apparently sure. really impacts it when you have helical. Yeah. Right? So if you have straight – so helical for people that are listening, there's a an angle that the fletchings are placed in that accentuates this, the spinning of the arrow, which makes it more accurate and, you know – that's what you want, right? So some people don't use that. They just have straight up and down fletchings, which is still good. You know, you can still shoot very accurately with straight up and down fletchings, but most, like, really good archers prefer a helical. Like, you have a helical. Yeah, give a little direction to yeah. that energy so the, so the arrow won't plane. But right. that whisker biscuit accelerates that spin, makes it immediate, though, Well, right? it, yeah. it fucks up the fletchings because it's, it's twisting as it's going through all that those, those hairs. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you have a straight... You know, straight fletching is just going to pass through. It only takes a few feet. Tim Burnett still hunts with a whisker biscuit. Mm. I was watching one of his YouTube videos. I mean, that guy's fucking killed everything. He's been around forever. You know, Solar Hunter, you know, um, mm. Remy's buddy. Yeah. And, you know, he's a really good hunter. And he uses a whisker biscuit. And mm. I was like, this is crazy. I mean, maybe he's only using it on this one video that I saw. Mm-hmm. But I was like, there's a lot of people that just go, I want to cut. Like, just like a lot of people don't fuck with mechanicals. They're like, it's too many things that can go wrong. I'm not going to fuck around with it. The last thing I did with mine is I put it on my fishbowl, but it won't flow to fiberglass arrow, I realized. Mm-hmm. Oh, too heavy. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, I was like, man, this is going to be genius for fish hunting. Right. But it just, the arrow just goes, Doof. Right through it. <laughs> right through yeah. Down through the hairs, yeah. That looks like a lot of fun, like bow hunting for fish. Oh, I love it, man. The, prob- like well, yeah. the problem is... Uh, you, you just get limited to a fish that are you, you get limited in the U.S. You get limited to a lot of fish species that are not as desirable, right? Like carp. gar and yeah. carp and stuff yeah. like that. Down in South America, you're hunting like the best, the, the, the best of the best fish. Yeah, you know, so with a bow. Nice. Yeah. Oh, but I mean, you're hunting like the most coveted food fish, mm. which is fun. 
Because, I mean, yeah. how many you know how many carp do you want? Yeah. We used to do it when we were kids, man. We'd shoot all kind of carp, but I, I just, you know. Isn't it wild that carp are, like, prized in Europe? Yeah, I know. It doesn't make any sense. They, like, they go I shouldn't say it doesn't way. make any sense that they didn't, but I don't know where we went. I don't know how we went so wrong. Yeah, it's weird, right? They put them all over thinking everybody's going to eat them all the time. It yeah. just, like, did not take off. Well, they ruin lakes. Yeah. The, where I live on Lake Austin, um, there's a buddy of mine who's one of my neighbors who's a, a fisherman. And uh, he said, man, you should have been here before they brought carp. He goes, there's oh. all sorts of vegetation in here, mm-hmm. and the bass were everywhere. But now, he goes, if you can get a camera and look at the bottom of this lake, it looks like the bottom of a swimming pool. There's fucking nothing yeah. there. No, they're the terrible, man. Everything. But the fact that it was intentional. There's yeah. so many non-native, there's so many invasive species that were unintentional, but the fact that for the for the most part, the common carp was, they were doing everybody a favor. I think they thought they were doing a favor for rich people on Lake Austin. Because I think they wanted people to have less vegetation so they could take their boats out. Got and it. That's what I think. Mm. And that's what he thinks, too. I mean, I got this from him. He mm. was like, I think they just wanted to clean up the vegetation because it was unsightly. Mm. And he goes, and they fucked this place up. Because he was uh, on a boat, and the when, when I met him, he was casting under my dock. You know, and I, I went out there, and I was like, what's going on, man? You weren't yelling at him? No. <laughs> I've, I've seen that on your show. No, I like it. I always, when I see those guys, and they, they're always like a little nervous. So I was like, how you doing, man? Like, oh, man, this guy's going to yell at me. I was telling this guy, like, the other day that there's, like, this four-pound bass that lives underneath my dock. I go, hey, man, there's a pretty good bass that lives underneath the dock. And he's like, really? I go, yeah, go ahead and fish it, man. So I, I started talking to him. But this is my friend Alan, shout out to Alan, who's my neighbor. He catches, all he catches is big bass. Huh. He goes, I don't even try for, he's, he uses a big-ass fucking Rapala. He has, like, one of those jointed Rapalas, yeah, and it's, yeah. like, fucking six inches long. He's like, I don't even fuck around. He goes, I just want big bass. Because there's, there's, like, 15, 16-pound bass in that lake. Whoa. And so he, he catches some big ones. He, he sends me some whoppers. Mm-hmm. Defenders, the eight-year effort to bring vegetation back to Lake Austin. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, really? they fucked it up. They fucked it up. There's still good bass there. Mm-hmm. Let me show you like what Alan catches. He catches some big-ass fucking bass. In my... Where we used to, me and Roy used to be addicted to carp hunting because we'd go, they'd be spawning in the spring after we poured concrete. He had a construction company. We'd pour concrete, then we'd go and go try to get carp for bear bait. Mm-hmm. So before they outlawed it in 94 in Oregon, we'd get carp, catch these giant carp, have a wheelbarrow, get them all back, put them in a, like a 55-gallon drum, put the lid on it, and then we'd make stink. So we'd call, we needed some stink to get the bear bait going because if you got that rotten carp in a, in a gunny sack and you put it way up a tree where they couldn't get it, that stink smell would go for five miles down the draw, and then all the bear would come in, right? So I just remember this one time we had a bunch of carp and 55-gallon drum. A- after a while, that kind of builds pressure. We didn't, we weren't really thinking about this. So we go to take that lid off, and it freaking explodes. And this shit smells so, I mean, maggots. Uh, carps, rotten carp exploded all over us. Have you it ever seen those insane. videos of when whales explode on beaches? Yeah, when they, well, I see them when they blow them up. This yeah. is when Alan just caught this in front of my house the other day. God dang, that's giant. Yeah, he catches some big ass bass. That's, that's a real nice huge. fish, man. <clears throat> yeah, I think the, that'd get the, me interested in bass fishing. Yeah, he catches a lot. Here's another one he just got. And whenever he catches one, he sends it to me. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're homies now. 
Those are big fish. But yeah, that's a, the weird thing is the dock thing. Like I encourage it. I'm I'm happy when I see people. Like I love all manner of outdoor activities. I would never want someone to not fish near my dock. That's like so stupid. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it's it's a, it's a repulsive behavior. It's repulsive. Yeah. yeah, it's not. It's not your. It's it's a dock. Like let people fish. You should talk to them. They're your friends. They like wouldn't you do it if you didn't have a dock and there was a dock and you knew the fish hang out under the dock? Wouldn't you fish there? Yeah. yeah. So what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, so it's, or, or it's like, well, you're going to have to move your dock because there's a fish under there that I'm, <laughs> <laughs> that I'm going to fish for. But yeah. uh, this uh, this is the the situation where that's where they go. They go where it's shade. Mm-hmm. They go where they can ambush. Mm-hmm. And they, they all go under docks and, you know, hanging trees and anything they can get because they fucked it up with carp. Yeah. I was living in Seattle for a while and there's uh, – we would fish – smallmouth and and perch and stuff in this thing at lake washington which is like right downtown and there's this i was in this neighborhood where they have these apartment buildings that are on pilings so there's just full-on apartment buildings out over the water built on piers and they would cast shadows and fish would collect there and you'd (laughs) you'd be in a boat man i mean you're like like besides being out in some dude's front yard under their dock you're fishing where you're (laughs) you're Right here, almost looking into the window, you know, of someone eating breakfast. <laughs> but your your cast right there, which felt much more intimate and kind of creepy. Yeah, know? that's weird. That that felt weird. <laughs> Weirder than you know, like I said, where you got a house, then a yard, then a dock. Like that's not weird, but you could get where you could basically like awkwardly wave at someone <laughs> in their bathroom. Yeah, you know, while yeah. You're trying to fish. Yeah, just don't make eye contact. <laughs> Sitting there taking a shit, looking out the window. <laughs> Yeah, the the, the 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 dock thing is a weird one, man. It's a weird one because I, I get it if you're not a fisherman and you're just some asshole that just doesn't want anybody near your house. What they're going to tell you, what they always tell you, is that some guy's going to take a leadhead jig and chip the paint. Chip the paint on the boat, ding the dock. Like, that's their claim. Okay. Is that they're, they're going to... Whack your whack your stuff with a leadhead jig. I feel like that's the same as if you're driving off road, like and you you're worried about pebbles. We got to get these fucking pebbles out of here. <laughs> like it's, you're you're driving off road. Yeah, it'd be like, yeah. well, don't put your stuff out over the public water. Yeah, and it, what are you doing? Uh, a boat's not a car, man. Like it's a boat. It's supposed to get scratched up a little. Mm. Like you don't want your boat scratched up a little. Like, Some what, people don't know. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't get it. You know what I'm saying? Like. Yeah. If you've got like if you're you're on a ranch and you got those stripes all on the down the side of your truck, Arizona pinstripes, yeah, yeah. like that's kind of <laughs> cool. Just, you break it in, yeah. That's like, what you do when it's new. You got you kind of <laughs> want that. I kind of want that. I I like a car that's been fucking used. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, you have twenty cars, so I do. <laughs> but even if I didn't, I'm pretty sure that's how I'd think. You know. Uh, I was thinking. Uh, I was thinking about your shot. You know why I think that. That helps when you do the elbow because when you get that elbow right, you're pulling hard against that back wall. A lot mm-hmm. of people creep on their shot. Like mm. They'll get, they'll aim, and everything's going good. They're pulling hard, and then as they're aiming, they're kind of relaxing. Oh, and, and mm. then that cam is kind of rolling over. Mm-hmm. It's called creeping, 
that'll throw off your shot. So I think when you think of that elbow consciously, it makes you think of pulling hard against that wall, which that's where the bow performs best. Kyle Douglas pulls so hard Mm -hmm. that he's made bows break. Yeah. He's broken bows. Like pulling into the back wall. Uh Uh-huh. I never thought about what you're saying, but it makes good sense. Mm -hmm. I think that's why it helps you. Kyle Douglas, who's a fucking, you know, like one of the best best archers. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I I changed my shot quite a bit when I started pulling really hard against the Hmm. wall. Really hard. You know, I pull fucking hard. I have that locked in. And um, it also changed when I stopped using a resistance uh, attention uh, release. Because mm. Dudley had me on uh, what's called a silverback, which is, I think, one of the best methods for learning how to shoot. Because you have a safety. You pull, and then the, it's all tension-based. So when you have the safety on, you could pull it hard. And then when you release the safety, you just pull a little more, and it goes off. And you could set it to, like, two, three pounds, whatever the amount of difference. So yeah. say if you have a 70-pound <clears throat> bow... You set it to seventy-two pounds, or whatever it is. At, at you know, when you're at um, you know full draw, whatever the you know the drop off is. So they have this resistance setting where you can you, you tweak it in your yard at like you know five yards, where you're right in front of the target, and you get it to the point where it's at the back wall, and then you just pull a little more, and it snaps and breaks, and it makes for a perfect release. And I use that forever. But then when I really started pulling hard in the back wall, I was making it go off mm-hmm. when I didn't want it to go off. And then when I switched releases, then I'm like, oh, that's definitely the most. Because you're much more steady when you're like, when I'm fucking locked out. Mm-hmm. I'm locked out. Like, I'm engaged in my back when I'm shooting at something. I am. Everything is locked out. Mm-hmm. You know, and I find that to be way more stable. Is is your front elbow locked out? My front elbow is locked out. Norm? Yeah, I mean, I, I used to bend it. I used yeah. to bend it a little, but then I was listening to this one guy, and he said, "If you were going to lean against something and want to be totally stable, wouldn't you lock your arm out if you're leaning against a wall and you wanted to be completely rigid?" Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, that makes total sense." No, that's when you want strength, you're it's bent. Like if you fall, you're not fa- you're not falling like this. Mm-hmm. You're falling. falling, right? Yeah, but and if you, when you're like benching, like when you have strength like that, it's not locked out though. You're stronger. Yeah, I think you're trying to push your. Right, think about tr- when your buddy's car gets stuck and you're trying to help him push. You're not locked out. Right, mm-hmm. but that's strength. I'm not looking for strength. I'm looking for stability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have plenty of strength. The strength is not the issue. The, st- the thing is, for me, is if I'm locked out, that's less movement. Mm-hmm. I'm completely locked. But then, I'm never. I mean, I'm not saying you know. It's so there's a very. I, I'm anything but a. I'm anything but a. Dudley a doesn't competitive agree with archer, but yeah, I've never heard that in my life. Dudley doesn't no. agree with it. Most like. I, I just I know this. Well, I shoot with it bent. We teach everybody to have it a little bit bent. But Wayne always references this poster of these premier Hoyt shooters, and they all have the exact same form, mm. and they're all slightly bent. Yeah. But, oh man, I find but I find myself is, better when I'm locked out. Hey, listen. The thing is, if it works for you, yeah. who gives a fuck what anybody else says? Because everybody <laughs> says I anchor wrong with my thumb behind my neck. Right. So it's like you know. It whatever if that the doesn't make any sense to me. If the arrow's going where it's supposed to, that the the, the 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 problem with the thumb behind the neck makes no sense to me. That seems to me to be way better because if you're anchored behind your neck, that's one more part of contact uh-huh. and that's one more thing that's locked in. Mm-hmm. You're like completely rigid. That thumb only has that much give, and then it's behind your neck. I would do it if my neck wasn't so. I big. keep needing to see what all this is. <laughs> yeah, like, see that doesn't seem crazy. No, I've no. Never done well, it, but... you see, Cam do it. Cam, he gets his fucking thumb behind his head. And the reason why... And your thumb's looking for a little spot, probably, too. Yeah, right? kind of, yeah. I'm, now you, I just you know don't, where even, it's I at. don't even think about it. Yeah. But um, how it used to be back in the day when we started 
everybody, like there was 30 inch bows, 29 inch bows, and that's about it, draw length. So mine, 27 and a half, I just had like a bow that was way too long. So I'm just like this. And that's where it started. Oh, you're just looking for something. Some, I'm like, God, <laughs> I'm trying to like. A lot just of guys hold do it. that behind yeah. the neck, and they'll tell you not to do it. I do not understand the logic well, it's, of don't do we, it. We started because the bow, the draw length thing. People weren't really fitting bows to the shooter at that time. Right. Mm-hmm. It was just like, here's the bow. Here's what we got. Good luck. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we do. Or it's and, like your brother's bow or whatever. Yeah. Who yeah. somebody gave it to you, but. It's funny, um, call, harkening back to the old days, I just had Waddell on the show. So me, Wayne, and Waddell were shooting at the bow rack, and we all have still trigger releases. You know, like nowadays the cool thing is the handheld, right? Right. But we're all old school, still shooting, you know, like my wife, Index hog, finger. Wise yeah. guy, just yeah. a trigger release like that. And, and we were shooting pretty dang good. We had a shooting contest all in the X's. And I said, let's get a picture of these releases because it's, Kind of a novelty now. It's like the, just the old guys shoot those. Well, there's still real co- good competitive archers like Gillingham. Gillingham is one of the greatest of all time, and he uses a trigger, you know. Mm-hmm. And he'll tell you in the way he says it. He goes, "This thing about target panic." He goes, "It's all just a mental weakness." Mm-hmm. He's like, when you're looking at a target, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously he's like one of the best of the best. Is is a different animal. But he's like, when you're looking at a target, like if you're practicing in your yard, you can do it, right? You can hit it, and not flinch. He's like, it's a mental weakness. That's mm. all it is. And he's like, I prefer to command fire. He goes, I know when that pin is over that target and I can stay steady and let it go. But he's got all kinds of wild, wacky releases. He is, he, He's always tinkering with shit, so he has weird releases that are like six inches long and they're like leaning forward and pulling. Like he gets it in his head. Modern stuff. Yeah, modern stuff. But okay, he, yeah. he adjusts his stuff. He's got some weird ones, man, where you look at the like extended releases. Like he's got a lot of yep. Wacky, like I wouldn't want to emulate it unless you were him. Yeah. He's also a fucking giant, six foot six dude, and you know it's like he's got crazy long. He shot so much, he has a crease in his nose. <laughs> I swear to God, from the string. I, I mean, that's good. I know guys that wore a groove in their teeth cut fish line. You know, yeah, same, that's yeah, good. Yeah. same thing. He's got yeah. that just where that string sits. It's like. <laughs> A crease. <laughs> yeah. Guy shot a lot of arrows. I like, That's great. I like a handheld because I've been doing handhelds for so long. But mm-hmm. uh, when I'm here, I practice with your release. Mm-hmm. In my range, I, yeah. have, I have the wise guy. I think for hunting, I think it's an advantage. I think for just controlled situations where you got all day, I think the handheld's the way to go. In an animal, you have to do commands sometimes. Oh, I sometimes mean, you, you do. You, yeah. you well, have to punch the fuck out of that trigger. Sometimes. And I've killed a lot of animals doing it. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, if you can keep it together. Yeah. There's moments where you like you got to shoot now. Mm-hmm. You can't wait for the hinge to break. Right. Yeah. yeah. I remember, there's certain things. Like, I remember taking one of those home and messing with it. And I had the same, I had the same feeling um, I had when my nephew was trying to explain chess, like the game of chess to me. Where I was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Realistically, I'm not going <laughs> to. Right. I'm not gonna figure this out. Yeah. Right, I right. admire it. I'm not. And I took that that attention thing out in my yard. Yeah. Uh-huh. And after a couple minutes, I'm like, "Are you honestly? I'm going back to check. Are you honestly gonna figure this out?" <laughs> and I was like, "At my age, as much as I shoot, I'm just not gonna." Well, and I, I went back and I just and I, so I shoot a, a trigger and I'll shoot that trigger till I'm dead. You shoot the same trigger he does. Yeah. You shoot the wise guy. Yeah, yeah. that's a yeah. good one too because it's hot. Yeah, you're, you're not yanking on it, and pulling it, and there's not a lot of like weird movement. Like when you touch that fucker, it's going off. Yeah, there's certain. There's, yeah, that uh, there's a type of trap called a 
MB750. Mm. That release, it just seems like really nice little mechanical contraptions. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I just like it. It's like you pull yeah. it, it's like, it's so like, tink. Yeah. It's so clean. Yeah. Well, I like, I use a, a thumb trigger now. I've been using a thumb trigger the last few years. And I'll still use a hinge, too. You know, I like a hinge, too. Because there's something about a hinge where I hear that click, and mm. I know, okay, here we go. Yeah. And that keeps me in the moment. So I hear that, well, I pull, I hear that click, and I'm like, okay, everything, keep the shot process going, and then it goes off. But the problem with that is when it's windy. Like, the, one of the things that I found, especially, like, hunting at Tahone, you know how windy it gets up there mm-hmm. in those canyons? Oh, when you're trying to punch as it drifts over? You can't do it. Yeah. You got to, you have to have a trigger. Yeah. You have to, you have to be able to control fire occasionally. But you, but it helps you to have that process of recognizing that a, a surprise shot is important. At least an element of surprise where it's not like, now, mm-hmm. but it's like, just go to the, I can, you know, like with a thumb trigger, you can make it go off. But you can also have it surprise. So yeah. to me, that's the best of both worlds. But that's a strange situation to be in when you're thinking, the next time that pin blows over that target, I'm going to punch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's what happens to some people. Mm-hmm. The mind fuck of target panic is crazy. When you hear about people that can't get the pin on the target, they can hold like six inches under the target. But once they rise up to the target, like, yeah! Yeah. Everything starts getting shaky. My body wants to put that pin. My body wants to put that pin just to the left. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's. that's it's like, I don't know why. Because I think I don't want to obstruct it. Yeah. You want to right. see it. Yeah. See what like, you you don't, like, it's like I got to. When I bring it up, like if I bring a crosshair on something, the crosshair is going to go. If I bring the pin up, it's going to want to sit just left so I can still look. Mm. And then I got to go like, now I'm going to bring it over where it belongs. You know what's the greatest you know what thing of all time? It has some problems, but it's the greatest thing of all time. And I know they're going to eventually work this out, is that Garmin release. Do you saw that one that I was yeah, using yeah, last year? Yeah. The site. I stopped using it. Yeah, Garmin site. Excuse me. I stopped using it because I've ha- I had some problems ranging things. But damn it, when it works, it's a clear window with a, just a, a LED mm-hmm. dot. No obstruction. Just like a red dot with a pistol. It's fucking magic. It's magic. Because there's no obstruction. You just put that pin right where it is. You can see through the pin Mm -hmm. because it's an LED. It's amazing. But it's just, there's some problems with ranging. Like when I'm in my yard and I'm at 74 yards, I know it's 74 yards. But I'll put that pin on, I hit the button, and then it'll say 67, 85, 73. I'm like, what the (laughs) fuck? And I'm like, I can't, I can't have this mind fuck. And so yeah. last year I stopped using it and I went, oh, I stopped using it because when we went to Utah, they made it illegal. So mm. I, I didn't, I, I hunted a full day with that release and luckily didn't shoot anything. And then we went back and then Colton said, you know, I, I think that's illegal here yeah. now. Yeah, and I'm like, what? I don't think you didn't hunt. You just practiced. Well, I definitely didn't shoot anything. No. But I did go out with it. I didn't even go to full draw, but I didn't go out with it. (laughs) Luckily, I found out. Like, imagine, I was thinking, imagine if you killed something and you did a photo with that and you didn't know. Because the year before, I had shot my They changed it in April. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, some little change in the law that. Yeah, that I didn't know about. Yeah. It's a dumb change because it only makes it more effective. And it's not easier. It's just you're more ethical. Like yeah, you, but there's a they. Ha, I mean, it's a rangefinder. Yeah, but the states are gonna have like they they have to try to like play the technology game because they just have to. 
I agree no. to a certain extent. But if you're going to allow range finders, why do you allow range finders? Because you don't want people guessing. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of guessing when you're gap pinning. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of guessing. When an animal, you range an animal at 50 yards and then he takes three or four steps, there's a lot of guessing. You yeah. know, and you're just going to hold high or you're going to do so. With the, the Garmin, all you do is just press that button again and you get a new pin. Mm -hmm. And it's perfect. And the other thing about the Garmin that's really fantastic is if you can't range, like say if you're at 20 or you're, you're at 40 yards and you range him and then he, he walks out and you're pretty sure it's like 50 or 60, you can also press a button and you get a full range of pins. So you get 20, 30, 40, you get five LED lights, mm -hmm. you know, instead of just one. Mm -hmm. So there, there's an advantage of that, too. So if you're in a situation like we were at when we were rattling and the bucks just come running in, and you know that's 20 yards or 30 yards. Like, you just pull it up and you got your pins. Yep. And you can do that. Or if you're at 60, you like I shot the Neil guy, you can hold it and then you get a pin. That's what it looks like. Mm -hmm. It's the shit, but it's just, it just makes me nervous. They're just trying to protect. The, what they'll say is the primitive integrity of archery. Yeah, and it's still pretty primitive. You're still using a rangefinder. Yeah, it's just a rangefinder that's incorporated. But they're in also sight. trying to imagine where it's going. Like you'll see some level of herky jerkiness, and and as they bring in regulations, as they try to like get a sense of what's coming. Because if you wait too long on certain technologies, you develop a user group. And then you develop a level of resistance. Like, like think the second drones, mm. the second drones became a thing. It was like immediately like 13 states. Nope. Yeah. And in the end, you kind of be like, well, why is it even on your mind? In the end, if you look where it's gone, in the end, they made the right call. Yeah. In, in open country, they made the right call. Yeah. Other things I think that you might look and try to like picture where it's headed and then maybe come back and correct. Like there was a time, I remember the first time Montana came out with anything about two-way communications. It was no two-way communications in the field the first year. And people are like, hold on a minute, if I'm hunting with my 13-year-old and my 80-year-old dad, I can't give them a radio so that they have a problem, they can get a hold of me. And they're like, oh yeah, I guess we didn't really mean that. And in the next year, there's a modification. And the next year is a modification as they try to like gauge what's going on. But I think that as technologies come in, there's a tendency to to want to pump the brakes to ascertain what's going on. Like, look how long some states waited on on trail cams. Yes, right. And then like, no one when trail cams came out, no one imagined they would be cellular, right? Or that you'd run that you that you'd run forty. Or that all every waterhole would have fifty different dudes that have trail cameras transmitting immediate information, and so then you got to then you develop a big user group and you develop a big resistance, and it just becomes a much different conversation. So I think that in those cases where you see a sort of you'll see a thing that doesn't entirely make too much sense, um, I think that's part of the the gamble and struggle of getting it right. Another thing is like, like a thing that I think it's winning out is they used to say. Well, you can't have dogs hunting deer, of course. And then people have been like, but I want a recovery dog. Like, it, I don't, the dog doesn't do any good until I've already wounded the thing. And once I've wounded it, like, why would you do anything to impede me getting it back? Right. And they've kind of are settling in on a, yeah, you can't run deer with a dog in most states, but they're coming around to saying, but for recovery, you can track a wounded deer with a dog. And so you have there's there's a you know there's a sort of 
compromise gets struck. Right, or right? even a dead deer where you can't find it, like yeah. heavy heavy timber. Oh yeah, 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 that, yeah. That that's yeah. where it's put. Used to some states, you know, it used to be you had to have it on a leash, but yeah. whatever. But coming around being like, yeah, we meant you can't hunt deer with a dog right we didn't mean you shouldn't be able to find a wounded or dead deer with a dog and they make a gradual correction well that's right? also the first step they do to outlaw mountain lion hunting right no mountain lion hunting with dogs and as yeah, soon as you do that but that's like, coming from a completely different right that's coming from a completely different agenda yes that's but, not trying to help hunters right. out that's trying to screw hunters. i just don't understand some of them i don't understand like lighted knocks that to me is the dumbest one it's like look lighted knocks allow you to more clearly see your mm. impact and find the arrow so you're not littering so instead of like an arrow just alone in the woods you see that green light in the distance and you can find it you know that one doesn't make a ton of sense to me i i wonder if someone if in in defining the legislation, there's a little bit of a, well, what else is going to be mm. on an arrow that's electronic? I don't know. Well, they are doing something they, like that uh, now where there's like, there's, there's talk of like Bluetooth technology. They have that. Yeah. And so, and so. Is it utilized now? Yeah. I mean, that's been out for years. So you can probably, find the arrow yeah. with an app? And so what they would say that if somebody's just going to shoot an animal, <clears throat> excuse me, in the ass, just get an arrow stuck in it, mm -hmm. so you know then, where it is. Then they'll find it. You know, right. like so. Is it gonna is it gonna perpetuate shitty, unethical mm. shots? Like if I can just right. get a piece of it, I'm yeah. good. Stick, right. Stick then I'll just anywhere. track it. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. a whale. Mm -hmm. You know, like you put a harpoon in a whale. And then yeah. Chase Oregon it down. was Oregon was very late on allowing mechanical heads and lighted knocks. I mean, it was just recently. That's why I was like fixed blade forever because at home I couldn't even shoot expandable so mm. oregon idaho they were pretty late coming to the game on the electronics because they call a, a lighted not an electronic mm. and that was and i still don't think garmin sites are even legal in oregon there's like 10 states where i think they're illegal at least mm. yeah but utah it's interesting that they did it this year yeah so yeah i know they changed but it might be to what steve was alluding to it's like you try to course correct or they didn't want to get too far down the road before they tried mm -hmm. to come back because yeah. that user group was established yeah and we'd been doing it and now they have this you know they fight back on that yeah i just think all it does is allow you to make more ethical shots that's all i think that a range finding site yeah. does i mean the but they could say that well rifle hunting is more ethical than bow hunting so why do we need to bow hunt you know what i mean yeah. right well you could also outlaw traditional bow hunting then because that's just yeah. all guesswork yeah a, a, yeah. a large part of it, Cam already alluded to this, a large part of it is, pro is protecting a desire to protect archery seasons as, you know, you can kind of hold them out as low harvest, limited efficacy, high opportunity hunts, right? And a state will run a bow season, and then they'll get then the general firearm, and then everybody gets down to the real serious business of killing. And you can look at the archery harvest, and the archery harvest winds up in comparison being, I don't want to say negligible, but in comparison, it's just it, it, it's it's a blip mm -hmm. in the harvest. And so, the desire to you know limit bringing in crossbows, certain technologies, is be like, let's keep it. Simple, traditional, low efficacy, low harvest, and then allow for greater length of seasons and greater opportunity. And if you get to, and I know it seems impossible, but if you 
can use technology to get it up where your harvest rates really start to spike, you're going to have the same thing you run into in other areas where you start being like, hey, we got to limit the opportunity pool. Yeah. Because these guys are too good. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you look at uh, like a general raw number is, is uh, uh, just generally an archery elk hunter what, has a 10% chance of success. Yeah. Just a, it, it fluctuates, yeah. but like right. generally there's a 10% chance of success. If that became 20, 30, you're going to pay for it somehow. Right. You know, you're going to pay for it somehow. That's, that's what, you know, a lot of detractors of archery will say, I, and I don't want to say, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, maybe you just eliminate bow hunting if you want to be, you know, more efficient with the killing, just make a rifle. I, I believe archery is just as deadly and just as ethical as rifle hunting. I, I, I believe that that's the way to go. Well, so it I don't, certainly is for you. I, I don't, I don't want to, but the success rate is lower to Steve's point. And it's uh, what, what the guys back home have said, the detractors of bow hunting is that the, the, and this could just be old boy talk, the bow hunters are killing all the big bulls because <laughs> I haven't heard that one. They're, but, they're yeah. rutting. Yeah. We can call them in. Right. We're getting mm-hmm. prime rut time. Right. And so, and it's, you kind of get lulled into this trap, especially with social media, that you're thinking, God, is everybody killing a fucking giant bull? But because now that's what you see. These long right? range shooters, man. These With the fucking, rifle, you mean? These, yeah, <laughs> yeah, these yeah. long range rifle guys are taking 700, 800 yard shots. You and know what's really good at you it? Know like it's crazy. I, I don't even rifle hunt. I mean, I haven't rifle hunted since 89. You're missing out. <laughs> but I took, I took uh, Kat Bradley, I know we talked about it before, to get her first buck in Oregon. And so my buddy Kevin had the SIG gun. She was going to shoot and it's all good. But this, this other guy, he reminded me of. Uh, God, remember Mark Wahlberg in that movie where he was like this recluse, uh, lived up in the mounds. And not the... Boogie Nights. No, not Boogie <laughs> Nights. Yeah, no, he didn't have. The... Oh yeah, uh, damn it. Go on. Good movie. So they wanted there somebody was going to assassinate the president. They tried to get him because he was this ballistic expert. They wanted to get him to tell him where they'd kill him from. Anyway, they yeah, right here, shooter. Shoot so him. anyway, this guy down there where we took Cat reminded me of. Mark, or no, not Mark, this old guy he went to talk to that knew the history of, anyway, he had these guns set up in this, in this, uh, steel out there at 990 yards and I can, I can shoot, but I never shoot. I haven't done it in years. And I was just like, I go, how far is that far one? He's like 990. (laughs) And I'm like, what do you got here? That'll shoot. And so he had this fucking sweet setup, right? Got up, set up, got there first shot out of this gun. Um, had the wind gauge up there and I'm like, okay, the wind's going here. I'm going to hold on the left side of the steel. Boom. 990 yards. First shot smacked it. And I'm like, I fucking never shoot. Uh-huh. Right. Right. I can hit this, this steel this big at 990 yards. Yeah. So to your, to your point about this long range thing, that's changing the game too. Oh yeah. yeah. People want to talk about archery's evolving and, and getting too far ahead of ourselves. God dang. These long-range rifle guys. My kids can shoot steel at distances that we didn't know you, that when I was a kid, you didn't know you could shoot. 300 yards was a long way when I was. The farthest shot you could take was across that cornfield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 300 if yards. If the corn was down. <laughs> you were like a great shooter if you could hit anything at 300. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was the, yeah. Well, now everybody has shooting sticks and, the, you know. Mm-hmm bipods and all sorts of different things that they used to set up to make them more stable what we had or with, prone oh yeah i mean those, those 
Yeah, a bipod wasn't even a thing when I right. started no. rifle hunting. It was like you had a sling. You could put your arm in there a little yeah. bit. And that might help a little bit. But you're offhand. Offhand still. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, when we kill blacktail, it's like you, if you get – you don't want to be past 100. you imagine if they, they said with rifle hunting, no more prone shots? Well, Too easy? No, I don't think they would – they would approach it a different way. They wouldn't approach it that way. Well, they would start with bipods, right? No, if someone they wanted would, to? No, they would, it would probably come. See, I hesitate to say anything because I don't want to give anyone anyone, anyone ideas. But if, <laughs> if you were going to try to, like, I can't even think if you were going to try to regulate. Well, I'll put it to you this way. So we have muzzleloader seasons, okay? A lot of states have muzzleloader seasons. And just very generally, a state's big game hunt would go archery and then general firearm. And you go into late season muzzleloader, and states will regulate muzzleloaders down to whether you have um, what powder, okay? So loose powder or pellets. They'll regulate it down to open sites or no open site. They'll regulate it down to whether you have a projectile that's true to bore, or encased in a in a little casing called a sabot. Um. What other kind of stuff do they throw at you? Meaning know. they really like Those nitpick are, your well, gear. They're like, in some cases, they're like rifles now. Ignitions, they, they, they'll some regulate cases. ignition systems. Mm-hmm. In some cases, they break it down to completely primitive muzzle loaders. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. like there's flint, nothing the like... Whole deal. So it, they do have the power and the... Uh, not the power, that's not the right word for it. They do have the ability to come in and really nitpick your gear. Right, right down to weird stuff that you'd have to that you could have people not even know what the hell you're talking about when you say true to bore projectile, but you just that hasn't come into that hasn't come into general firearm, and in fact I can't really think of anything out there besides you can't use anything that projects light like a laser. Laser, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, like, yeah. like projecting. You see regulations around projecting light, hmm. and I think there's some regulations about the scope can't have electronics in it, meaning lighted reticles. I think in some states you can't have lighted mm-hmm. reticles, but so far you haven't seen that real. You haven't seen a real nitpicking of long range rifle equipment. Mm-hmm. I don't even know where you'd start, man. I don't know well, that they would regulate the the magnification. That they would somehow regulate uh, laser rangefinders. Imagine they regulate distance. Just you can't shoot over blank distance. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be it'd be a real puzzle if someone was tasked with figuring out how to rein in. Uh, I would pay a lot of attention to that because I guarantee whatever they come up with is shit I use. <laughs> well, in, in that case with shooting the nine ninety, it reminded me of run. You do all the calculations on your phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. a, and then you set the scope to whatever this says. Right. You know, like the scope has. Just, not just magnification, but also like you're changing the zero of it. Mm-hmm. So, but you're doing it based on the distance, based on the load, based on everything else the wind. that goes into the phone. Yeah, the wind was not not the greatest because you could check the wind at the gun, but when you're a thousand yards, so that's why right. you needed that flag out there. But to to set the scope on to hold right on, that's all done on the phone on a on an app or something. Mm-hmm. So. Let's, let's go back to talking about bow hunters killing all the big stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know it's those, those uh, bastards. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, honestly haven't heard. I've heard everything. I haven't heard that. So that's yeah. I get it. The rut, and but again, it's you know, social media. It makes it seem like. 
for anybody that people are everyone's successful, everyone's mm-hmm. killing bulls, yeah. and it's just not the case. Well, it's just not success rate is still ten percent on on bulls with a well, not even just bulls, elk with a bow. Well, social media has just fucked up our perceptions of everything. You know, of oh, people's gonna... bodies, of people's mm-hmm. faces, yeah. oh, filters. God. But in September, God, it does seem like everybody's getting a big mega bull, don't it? (laughs) Well, there's so many people with Instagram accounts, (laughs) and everybody can't wait to post those photos. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I was when I asked what year that was, I've seen some graphs on on hunting. Oh, that sorry, yeah, that buck, um, and I see some graphs on hunting, and I, you know, we all get blamed for a lot of ills that probably we don't deserve of in regard to hunting. But I saw this graph talking about the fl- hunters, you know, 50 years ago, there's this many hunters and right around 2015. I mean, it was plummeting. The number of the, on the graph I saw, the number of hunters was plum just going straight down. And then I was trying to like, is that when you started coming in? And we talk about hunting here. And then now it's, you know, maybe there's a little bit of an up, I know there's an uptick from where it was going, but I was thinking it. I think it's a downtick now, right? Now it's a downtick. Now tick. after yeah. the COVID, yeah, yeah after now it's COVID going back down. Tick. But if you look at the graph that I saw before you started talking about hunting, who knows where the hell we'd be if you follow that line down to where it was going? There'd be no hunters from 2015 to 2024. It's like it was. I don't. I don't know where this graph was, but it's. Uh, I don't know. Well, it just makes sense. I mean, think about the amount of millions of people that have been exposed to talking about hunting now mm-hmm. that but we're so, never exposed. Yeah, so it's not just, oh, yeah, hunting's in a more healthy spot because we do need hunters to to champion our cause, right? But it's not just that, oh, that's good, but imagine without that where we'd be. Mm-hmm. I but, once saw a graph. It was a – not a graph. It was a whatever the hell, a diagram or something, mm-hmm. and it showed – in Michigan, average age of fur trappers, people that held a fur harvester license, the average age every year of someone holding a fur harvester license actually went up one year. Mm. Uh, no one knew. <laughs> it's like these same people, and they're just, you know. I mean, how many new people are getting into trapping that have never trapped? Some. God, it's got to be small. Not like it is when fur prices shoot up. Right. Yeah. Well, that's different, right? Yeah. But One no, it's, it's super me... small, man. No, super, super small. Mm-hmm. And then anytime, yeah, fur prices skyrocket, then it brings people in. If fur prices are low, it's just no one. One of the things you told me once that blew me away was at one point in time, the richest man in the country was a beaver trapper. Yeah. Well, be, yeah. A beaver, beaver, beaver man, tradesman. John Jacob yeah. Astor. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah that, I mean, that was the most precious commodity was beavers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you talked about Colorado, man, that's a it's a crazy time right now because there they are there is that measure out there. I I don't I think it's a ballot measure, but it it's is. uh yeah where they're trying to they're calling they want to label lion hunting as trophy hunting, and look we, there's a there's a guy there who's very passionate. He's been doing a lot of good work. His name's Dan Gates with Colorado for responsible wildlife management. Yeah, yeah. We, for people yeah. listening, don't know what we're talking about. We should say mountain lion. Mountain lion, yeah, yeah. right. Well, all. They say mountain lion, bobcat, and then lynx. They which, throw in lynx, which you can't hunt for anyways. Yeah, it's not even. To create this idea that, yeah. It's not even legal. But they love putting this trophy hunting moniker out there because it's really easy to hate trophy hunting. Mm-hmm. Right. Which isn't even legal. You can't even. 
they make it. I read this article from Colorado Sun or something like that, where it's like they want to eliminate people who kill mountain lions and just go cut their head off and just take the. Tr- it's like who fucking does that? Nobody does that. But nobody does that. People who don't know think, oh my god, that's despicable. Let's we outlaw need to this. Serve them some mountain lions. Well, yeah. What the yeah? What they what the aim here is that is tr- the attempt to create a legal term the 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 attempt to create trophy hunting as a legal term when you have a ballot measure both sides argue about the language like when when voters going what are they going to read obviously you could write any ballot if you could just write the ballot initiative how you wanted to you'd win every time but people got to debate the wording that's what they did with the wolf thing did yeah. you did you read the wolf thing i never actually I, read it i couldn't even i couldn't even tell what was four wolves and what wasn't? Oh, yeah. It's like what the? F- I don't even know yeah. which one I'm against. It was like forcing. It was. It was. Should the state? Does the state need to implement a reintroduction or uh, discovery effort or something yeah. like that? And this is this. They're trying to. The, the debate comes around to can you say trophy hunting? Yeah. In a ballot measure, because if they can, if you can set the precedent, if you can use that it, what a great tool because people are going to say oh i don't agree with that you know i don't agree with that kind of hunting right um which uh w- would have widespread implications because um as demonstrated here with this deer here uh there's a lot of parts of it that i don't throw away and i keep sitting around yeah so is this a trophy or is it an emblem or what the hell is it right but if I kept it, does that mean that I'm now captured under your definition? Right, right, yeah. What is trophy hunting? Yeah. Yeah, and then the bringing in the wolves thing is pretty wild because uh, there's no precedent. They really don't understand, like— Oh, what, there's precedent. With, I mean, with, obviously with Montana, yeah, with Fra- Yellowstone. Uh, Idaho's Frank but, Church, Yellowstone. But long term, I mean, we've only been since the 1990s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason why they eradicated wolves. It's, I don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. But when you have ranchers and you have all these people that their living is based entirely on the stock that they have and whether or not they make money enough to keep their farm running or not is depending upon how many animals they bring to market. And then you have wolves and you just bring in wolves. Yeah. Well, so there's a if if I got the tinfoil hat on, they want to eliminate hunting. I mean, they, they want to eliminate hunting and ranching. So they don't care about ranchers losing their animals. They would love people just to be 100% consumers, relying on the government so they can control them. They say, here's your food. Here's what you're getting. You're getting it from us. You're not out there hunting it for yourself. They hate hunters. If I was thinking about, you know, the governor of Colorado, which is Polis, his husband is anti-hunting. Yeah, he's an animal rights activist. That's where all this is coming from. So, but if you look at the bigger picture, hunters... They cannot stand hunters are usually capable, um, confident. Uh, you know they have a skill set. You can't control people like that. They want people. Government wants people they can control. That'll be afraid when they're supposed to be afraid. Wear this mask when we tell you. Get this shot when we tell you. Here's you. You get your food from the store. Here. Here it is. And hunters, I think there's certainly an element of that. Hunters are the opposite of that. Yeah, I think there's certainly an element of that, but I think it really all boils down to people that love animals. They yeah, just I think there's. I, I definitely detect that there's a complete disinterest in what 
hunters think about it and they think that that for someone to come in and argue um by doing this wildlife measure you're impacting or like you would like this animal on the landscape for viewing pleasure mm-hmm. um i like certain animals on the landscape for hunting consumption eating whatever and there's a conflict here where by doing this, you're going to lower – by increasing your likelihood of having viewer pleasure, you're having a, a potentially really negative impact on my use of natural resources. I think that they would look at you as though you don't have a – that you're ridiculous or evil or don't have a point in saying that you want to control um, – you want to limit predation on a resource you rely on. And they – they don't accept that as a reality. Uh, it's it, I I haven't encountered a lot of like really really forceful wolf advocates that are serious hunters. There is a there's a trend there. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that 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 bothered me about the bothered me most about the Colorado reintroduction is that while the ballot measure was going forward, wolves showed up on their own. Mm-hmm. I would have imagined, even if I was on, and, and I'm not anti-wolf, but uh, when they showed up on their own, I don't even know if it's legally possible, I would have halted that whole thing. Because the social friction is so much less if they walk in on their own. Yeah, uh, Diane Boyd, who is the Montana wolf specialist for many years, um, she even came to believe in hindsight that the the Idaho Montana reintroductions ultimately would have been unnes- ultimately were unnecessary and that you would have gradually achieved the same thing with wolves walking in on their own mm-hmm. and had a very different societal perception of what was going on people would look at it as a natural like a, mm-hmm. a, a natural dispersal a natural occurrence and not a government action right yeah but i think they wanted that pomp and circumstance like Polis was there, I think, when they released the wolves. Oh, call, right? yeah. With a big so, stupid smile on his face. Yeah, they, they Everybody want. Everybody else, all the biologists all had this like, what are we doing? Yeah. And he was like, yay. Yeah, they nature. wanted. Right. They wanted that. You know, and if they knew the truth of how nature balances itself, it doesn't really balance. It's over. You know, predators kill way too many prey animals because there is no tag limits. They're not like, uh, for example, they talk about trophy hunting lions to, or mountain lions. To hunt in Colorado, you have to take. It's very regulated. You take this test, so you learn how to identify a, a tom and a female. You learn how to age a little bit, you know, based on the coloring. You learn, you know, what size a track. So there's, you have to go through this before you hunt. And the whole quota system. The quota, enough. like, yeah, so the quota where I was in the unit I was hunting was uh, 34 lions. Every night after five, you call in to see what the, where we're at. When I got there, it was at 31. I was there for six days. It was up to, uh, it was 34 was the limit. It was up to 33. So one more lion could get killed and then it's done. So it's not like. What the, happens if like you kill at the same, you're in the woods, no signal. Yeah. And someone else kills too. until yeah. it hits 36. It, it could. That's why you check there's in. There's a 24, at, there's a window. After five. Yep. Yeah. So I think. I think and it, actually, and it'll usually click in like a 24 hour clock or maybe they might've been immediate. I don't know. It was, they have, you have 48 hours okay, yeah. to turn it in there. And, um, but anyway, point is, you're not over harvesting. You know, the the estimate goes up to as high as 7,000 mountain lions in Colorado, probably maybe, maybe 5,000. 
But in the whole state, hunters are allowed to kill 450. And they've been doing this. And it's not like they're out there killing mountain lions, cutting their heads off, no regard for the numbers, wiping them out. It's so regulated. You know, you don't have to call and, and uh, report your deer and elk. But lions are like a whole nother level as far as control. Yeah. And think about that quota system. If you have a horrific snowstorm that pushes all kinds of deer and elk out of high country and like everybody and his brother, like a perfectly timed snowstorm and everybody and his brother is just piling up deer and elk. Mm-hmm. They don't go, oh, shut it down. Yeah. They yeah. sit back and they'll go like, wow. Yeah. Mother load. What a harvest. Yeah. yeah. But with lions, they would they would come in and go, oh, done. Yeah. Yeah. But well, they got a it's a it's a perpetual motion machine where they've had these they've had a really healthy, stable population, a minimum harvest. Yeah. That just goes on. It's under ten percent harvest. This is a thing that we should talk about when when it comes to these uh, reintroduction of predators. Which uh, listen, I, I I fucking love wolves. I mean, if you look out here, I have all these photos of wolves. It's mm-hmm. a long distance photos of wolves. I'm happy that they exist. I think they're fucking amazing. I got they're I probably got a my big favorite one on my wall in my living yeah. room. They're probably my wolves favorite animal. I just think they're the fucking coolest animal of all mm-hmm. time. I really do. I just look in their eyes, photos of them. If I come across photos on my Instagram, I'm always like, holy shit, look mm-hmm. at that thing. They're majestic. Um, but their numbers have to be managed. And as uncomfortable as that sounds for people, wildlife biologists, they have an understanding of the carrying capacity and the resources of the land. They understand how many hunters there are. They understand how many. That's how tags are allocated. Yeah, it's not the, a guessing game. Yeah, it's the way people need to understand this. It's like they've they've done this for a long time. These people have you know painstakingly researched these numbers. They know exactly what they're doing. But when it comes to this game of reintroduction of animals, the first step is. They say there's a carrying capacity for the amount of wolves. This is the number. When it gets to that, we will agree to open up a season on wolf hunting. But every time that happens, there's lawsuits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's lawsuits to try to stop that hunt. And then the wolves get larger and larger. Yeah. And then you have larger and larger populations. I was looking at a graph the other day where they showed reintroduction of wolves to Yellowstone, the amount of elk that existed, and now the amount of wolves versus the amount of elk. And it's pretty shocking. Mm-hmm. It's a giant drop. Mm-hmm. And they're so good at hunting. They're, they're fucking amazing. But hunting wolves is insanely difficult. It's really hard to do. They're really fucking smart. Mm-hmm. They're really aware. Their senses are light years beyond what we can even physically imagine an animal to be capable of doing. In our minds, like we we know that deer could... I remember I was watching an episode of your, your show where uh, Bear winded you guys at like fucking 500 mm-hmm. yards or something. Yeah, yeah. Like it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Their, their noses are fucking amazing. Their senses are amazing. I don't think we really... It's almost like looking at the size of the universe. Like you know it's... 13 point whatever billion light years across you don't fucking that's yeah, that's yeah. just going in your head you know the amount the, the kind of power that uh, the senses of a wolf have mm. i don't think we could even really fathom it so our our thought is people are just going to go in there and wipe out the wolves like they did before that's just ignorance the way they wiped out well, before at this point you can go nine. and say that it's just that that's not the reality because right. after the after the delisting in the in the northern Rockies, after the delisting, that didn't happen. Right, right. right. Did there's, they ever reset quotas? A, 
Yeah, they reach quotas. They every night, not every night, uh, many nights. I'll check and y'all get notifications. Like the other night, I got a notification. Whatever the hell, three thirteen, whatever it was. Unit had hit its quota. Region five had hit its quota. I'm talking about in Montana. Mm-hmm. Whatever region hit its quota. At this point, it's at this point we've hit at. It is a stable. There is a stable population of wolves across a big chunk of range that are managed as a renewable natural resources. They're, they're managed as a big game species. There is no problem. It still gets litigated all the time, but the whole idea that they're going to be pushed back on the onto the ESA, onto the endangered species list, the state doesn't want that. That'd be the worst thing that could happen to the state. Right. They're not going to shoot them into oblivion. Right. It's like we have wolves on the landscape, and you could have the extremes of people that want to live in a world where there aren't any. That's not realistic. Like you lost that fight. You have extremes where people want to live in a world where there's as many as possible and there's no regulation on them, which isn't extreme because we could live in that landscape. But right now we're living in a landscape where there are wolves on the ground. There's a healthy population. There's hunting for them. There's a, 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 a equilibrium emerging. And it's very livable. But in Colorado, it's like you got hunters that are – if hunters saw that there was a pathway to finding the extent of it, they would probably feel a lot better. But right now they're like, we're going to lose 50% of elk. We're going to lose 75% of elk. This is going to get litigated. It could be 100 years from now. We could have 90 years of full recovery objective. There's still no regulated harvest on wolves. And they're apprehensive. And it's also for high population areas, which is the ones that vote the most. I mean, that's where the, the, the people are that are voting. These are generally urban areas that don't have any understanding of what they're even voting on. Yeah, they're hoping to see one. Like exactly what's going on in, in BC when they delisted, when they, they uh, made it uh, illegal to hunt grizzly bears. And the people that live up in BC, like my friend Mike, who lives in northern BC, is like, Jesus Christ. Like, mm. First of all, this is a, a way that a lot of people make a living is by having these uh, bear hunts. This is a, a part of their, their lifestyle. They're, they're guides. They guide people to hunt grizzlies. And it's important to maintain their population because if you don't, nothing is. And these people in these urban areas, they think of it as trophy hunting. But at least people know that you eat bear. Nobody's eating wolves. So that is like one of the most difficult to defend. Mm -hmm. When you say, I'm going to go wolf hunting. Like, what a piece of shit you are. You're going to hunt wolves? The fuck is wrong with you? Here's here's a, you you mentioned, Steve, that it's, it's kind of at a stable level with the wolves now, you know, you call and check in and, and wolves are introduced, they're hunt they're still being hunted. So that works in Montana and Idaho, I think in, in uh, Wyoming, Idaho, Montana. Right. Yeah. So I sent this to you, I was just looking this up. And Alaska, of course. Right. Um in Idaho Lolo region, in ninety five, twelve root wolves were introduced. In two thousand five, five hundred and twelve wolves were present. In two thousand eleven, eight hundred wolves were present. So the elk from 95, there's 16,000 elk in this region. In 2016, there was 1,000 elk. So it went from 16,000 mm-hmm. to 1,000. So that's what wolves can do. That's so insane. When you say, and that's they can hunt them in Idaho. In Colorado, when there is no wolf hunting, and now these wolves are back. And there, and there won't be. Not, not under this, their no. gov- governor now. No. But, uh, and that's what I say. It's like, once these prey animals get down, then they can say, well, we don't need hunters. 
There's yeah. nothing, nothing to hunt. There's well, that's the objective that is the in California. That's yeah. a regulated objective in California. Right. It's a state-stated so, objective. And I've heard they want to turn Colorado into a uh, almost like a viewing state. Like, you know how they do the safaris over in mm-hmm. Africa mm-hmm. where there's no hunting. You're just out taking pictures. That's what they want Colorado to be. So they want low numbers of elk and deer so there is no hunting. So then they can say, well, we don't really need hunters. And by the way, do you guys need guns now? I, I don't know if you need right. guns because you said you needed them for hunting. Mm-hmm. So that's a big portion. of Some people say, yeah, we want our everyday carry for protection. A lot of people say we want to hunt. With no hunting, you don't need guns. So there's this big diabolical plan you could say, is this what's happening? But all I know is that where there's wolves, there's way less elk. That's, it's openly stated on this wolf conservation website mm-hmm. that that's their ultimate goal. Their ultimate goal is to remove firearms because you won't need them if you don't need them right. for hunting. You wind up with... The, the this attitude about it that uh, a, a lot of people that are just really and again I, I like I know I'm stuttering here because um, I'm not an anti-wolf person right uh, I'm a pro I'm like pro hitting a recovery objective and then having a managed resource but you'll find that a lot of wolf advocates will will really try to in one breath tell you that it actually they don't actually do that they don't actually cause the decline of elk numbers like when 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 elk numbers collapsed in the coming with the coming of the wolf in the northern rockies there's other factors that could have explained that right they don't actually do that but at the same time they'll say oh but they would be a great tool for controlling wildlife diseases which populate among overpopulated ungulates so you wind up getting this crosstalk on one hand, oh, they're not that, it's, it's not that catastrophic for big game herds, but it really lowers big game herds and helps with disease transmission, you know? And it's part of that. That's kind of stuff really frustrates people. Yeah. You know, you're, like you're, you're getting all this, you know, that they, they like shit rainbows, you know? Right. And it, it, like, it pisses people off. Well, it's also, like we were saying, it's, it's almost indefensible to someone who's an anti-hunter. Like you could say, I hunt for food, and people go, well, I, I don't agree with you, but I get it. Yeah. Nobody gets wolf hunting. You know, like, do you want to go hunt a wolf? I don't want to hunt a wolf. I don't want to shoot a wolf. I, I love them. I think they're amazing. But I you get You could say, I take the thing of, um, I harvested an animal and took the thing of highest relevance and value to me. Um, on a deer, I didn't keep the hide. I didn't retain the hide. But I kept the meat on a wolf. I didn't keep the meat, but I retained the hide. I took the thing of highest value to me. Well, are there like some trappers you were telling me that like wolf meat was their favorite meat? Oh, there's an Arctic explorer, uh, Viljalmer Stephenson, and he would in his uh, he has a he had a book, My Life with the Eskimo, and he made first contact with a lot of uh, Eskimo Inuit hunters in the Canadian high Arctic, and he always claimed that was his favorite game meat. Well, why if people eat <laughs> If they eat mountain lion, and mountain lion, you told me it's delicious. Yeah. Right? Why don't they eat wolves? It's weird, man. I've never, I mean, I've never gotten a wolf. You ate a coyote once. Yeah. I've never gotten a wolf, and I've never eaten a wolf. But uh, I know people that have eaten it, but it's not a, you know, eating, like, lion hunters eating mountain lions is very common. Um, I don't believe that, I, I believe there's some people that eat some wolf meat, because I've heard of it and seen it. I don't think it's widely practiced. Have you ever heard it? Do you ever talk to someone who's eaten wolf? Yeah, who? Uh, 
I do know a couple guys that have eaten wolf. Um, my friend Buck Bowden's eaten wolf. That's uh, the guy that makes the bowls. Yep. You know, uh, he had eaten it, and uh, what maybe, did he say? I think rather, didn't Randy Newberg eat a wolf? He might have. Yeah, I think he ate a wolf. What did uh, Buck Bowden say it tastes like? Uh, there's a story about Buck Bowden where someone's talking to him and he's cleaning a Wolverine skull. Okay, when he was trapping Wolverines, he's cleaning a Wolverine skull with a knife at a counter and someone's talking to him. And as he's talking to him, he's eating the hunks of meat that he scrapes off the skull with this knife. So, but I don't remember what he told me about it. He told me, the, I remember him telling me the one thing he can't get that he's tried every which way is um, brown bears eating salmon. Just always I nasty. remember him telling me that was the one food that he had a hard time with. Well, you were telling that story about how you borrowed your friend Smoker. Yeah. Coast, coastal blackberries. Yeah. And you were like, man, you got to clean your smoker. It smells like fish. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I've never cooked fish on that smoker. Yeah. You know, I didn't use that for that. And I was like, oh, that's my bear. <laughs> <laughs> my bear ham did that too. How me. did the bear taste? Oh, I don't mind it. You know, it's funny. You, you know, dirt, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Dirt one, I'm really liking that. He liked that, that bear that tastes like smoked salmon. Because he's like, well, I like smoked salmon. Right. And I like meat. And this is the full package. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like a, a fusion. No, we fusion ate it up. But I'll just eat stuff. You know, I don't care. I'll just, if I have it, I'll eat it. Well, if you do it right, like one of the things that we learned when we were hunting with Jesse last year, like diver ducks, which people yeah. n normally say they taste like shit because mm -hmm. they eat this, the stuff on the bottom of the, the lakes. And Not when he cooks. <sighs> Jesse Griffiths can cook yeah. some diver duck that makes mm. it like literally one of my favorite foods yeah. I've ever eaten in my yeah. life. Uh, you can figure anything out. You can yeah. figure anything out. It just depends how much work you want to put into it. Right. You know? And, you know, obviously it doesn't hurt being an amazing chef, mm -hmm. you know, but he's, you know, he's got it down to a fucking science. Those diver ducks are sensational. But if you talk to the average yeah. duck hunter, they're like, Ugh. If I got a wolf, I would definitely want to have a couple chews off it. But, uh, I mean, I could tell you that you'd never separate me from the hide off that thing. But, I would, you know, I would, I would go into it and be like, I'm going to try it just because I want to see what it's all about. Yeah, you know, but it wouldn't be my primary objective yeah. in getting one. Some some of those animals just need to be killed. That's all. They're like coyotes, wolves. Yeah. They just need to be killed. You you have to kill. And whether you eat them or not, I don't know. Their numbers need to be managed. The so. wildest thing about coyotes is it doesn't work. Has the opposite effect. Well, depending on how good you are at it, they're done they in a very out. done in a very surgical fashion. At the right time, the right place, with the right level of intensity, they have found that that it is effective. Mm. Well, you got to bring in a fucking special ops unit. <laughs> no, like you can. There's man, if you have imperiled populations of pronghorn or imperiled populations of mule deer, and you go in deer like during calving season mm. in the right areas at the right time, you can move the needle on recruitment. Mm. Does you now and then, if you have a ranch and you now and then see a coyote and get it, are you doing like effective predator control? Probably not. That does not mean that you cannot done in a timely fashion, like I said, surgically, a timely fashion with the right approach at the right time. You can absolutely move the needle on wildlife recruitment. The, they see it. You see it in Alaska. They see it in Arizona. They sure. see it all over the place. But the issue is statewide or locally. That might be the case, but they will then spread out. 
Yeah, and they, but, and they will now they're in every state, they're in every city in the mm-hmm. country because of that, because people have hunted mm-hmm. them. So I, I put this to someone the other day. Like I, you know how you don't like you don't do media. Yeah, you don't like doing interviews. Yeah, I now and then get like suckered into doing an interview, and I did an interview about a contentious issue. Um, it was about states banning. I knew the minute the journalist called me, and he's talking about banning wildlife killing contests. And I said, can we please say uh, hunting contest at least? Do we have to say wildlife yeah. killing contest? And I'm like, you know, my buddy Doug has a doe derby where they're in an area where they're trying to lower deer numbers for issues of disease transmission, habitat improvement. And he has a little derby where you win some prizes because they're trying, the state is is explicitly trying to encourage doe harvest. Is he having a wildlife killing contest or is he having a derby as a management tool, right? Mm. Anyways, I do this interview and shouldn't have done it because the quote they uh, pulled for me was not the right quote. I lo- now I'm so mad about that guy. I can't remember what point I was driving at. <laughs> uh, you were going to say that they tried to lump it in as a killing contest and, uh, oh, the outlaw, the contest of killing animals basically yeah. but i had some like broader ass point i can't remember now what it was apologies <laughs> <laughs> got so riled up about talking to that guy yeah yeah and so i do i do want to uh revisit one thing because i said like for me anytime i see a coyote if i got a license and it's legal i kill it every i killed one this year i'm I, i'm always trying to my personal thing is i kill so many prey animals a year whatever that number is i'm going to try to kill a number of predators also. I feel like that's doing my part to, mm. to whatever. To balance it. To balance it. But I did want to say one thing about the mountain lion hunting. As I say that I will kill just a coyote just because I think it's to kill, I didn't kill a lion in Colorado because one of the biggest benefits to using dogs is identifying if that's the animal you want to kill. It's not what, what happens now, like in Oregon where they outlawed running lions with dogs is if you kill one, it's just one you saw and you don't know, you don't know what it is. You don't know how old it is. You don't know male, female, because you don't have time. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but that's the only way you can hunt them. So now they have, the season is open all year. It never closes in Oregon. There is no dog. So lion numbers are going way up. Deer numbers going way down. That's kind of what happens where, where dogs are allowed or baiting for bears allowed, or even hunting black bear with dogs is allowed. You're, killing the animal that should be killed the older male generally and you're identifying it it, you're taking out the right one without those measures in place those hunting a dog is a tool Mm. without those measures in place it's it's not nearly as controlled and it's not like people are just going out there just going to kill any lion up the tree just like i i didn't kill one because i didn't see an old male lion Houndsmen are the one that originally pushed for lion regulations. Yeah. They, they, they were pushing for lion regulations when no one was paying any attention to right. lion, lion uh, conservation. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I finally remember my point. Okay. <laughs> Am I allowed to go back yeah, in time? Yeah, he, we were having this conversation where people say that, that coyote hunting actually increases coyote numbers. And I see what you're talking about because it disrupts pack dynamics and can lead to animals shooting off in new directions and starting packs. And also leads to them having more offspring. But I said, well, if you're super pro coyote, uh, why would you not encourage that? It's true. And I was yeah. just throwing it out there as a rhetorical question. Well, it is a rhetorical question, but it actually does have merit. You know, Dan Flores' book, uh, Coyote America, mm-hmm. which is an amazing book, 
fucking incredible book when you realize how wild those things are. Yeah. And when they get killed, they when they do their roll call and there's a coyote missing, yes, the female coyotes will produce more pups. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just that's the reason why they're everywhere. Yeah. I um I'm friends with Dan. I studied under Dan. I have massive respect for Dan. I have Dan on the show. There's certain little tidbits of this debate that Dan and I don't see eye to eye on. <laughs> and this is one of them. Yeah. But uh, but the effect. Love him. The effect is hard to argue. They they literally have gone from 100 years ago yeah. where they were primarily in the Southwest and in the West to everywhere mm-hmm. in New York City. I mean, they have coyotes in in fucking Central Park. Yeah, and, and some of their and you got to realize too, like wildlife dynamics can play out very slowly. So, in some ways, it's possible they're still responding from the elimination of the wolf. Right. 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 Like like some of this stuff takes so long. You just look at like why does just very gradually why do raccoons and possums keep going north and west? It's just so weirdly gradual. Javelinas, right, move over time. So you see these things that happen so slowly that you can't picture them playing out. But with the coyote, it seemed like there was a gradual movement and then just an explosion. Mm. You know, I remember them coming into our area. Like, I was a red fox trapper, and we didn't have coyotes. I remember the first coyote I ever saw. And now it's like, for the most part, red fox are gone and coyotes are there. Um. And that was part of the, like, not just the gradual increase. That was, like, the explosion in the 90s where they just, like, I don't know. They suddenly figured something out. Something clicked. I don't know what it was, man. I was in this conversation with some guy in the Hollywood Hills. Uh, You know, people up there are terrified of losing their dogs. Mm -hmm. They lose their dogs all the time. Dogs and cats get killed by coyotes constantly. And he was telling me about this. And it's like, fucking hate them. They're everywhere. I go, yeah, I get it. But you love rats because if it wasn't for coyotes, rats would be everywhere. Mm-hmm. They'd be everywhere. Like they, they also keep the population of things down that you don't want. I mean, they're, they're an essential part of the ecosystem. They, they, there's a reason why, like where I used to live in California, it's not infested with rats because it's got a lot of coyotes. They're fucking everywhere. And yeah, don't leave your dog out. Yeah, don't mm-hmm. don't let a you know a, a kitten roam around your backyard and you're not looking, because they'll get it. You know they killed all my chickens, but they're also like they're a very important part of that system. Again, I don't dislike them. Yeah, I love them. I like them. Um, every year I flesh and stretch a few and send them to the tannery. Someday I'm gonna have a big giant bedspread out of coyotes. <laughs> How many do you have now? The, what's that? How many do you have? How many I got saved up now? Uh, I mean, I used to sell them. Now I got saved up maybe 10 of them. How many do you up. need for a bedspread? I haven't done the math yet. <laughs> Me and my buddy sent in, and we had 50 beavers, and we did two blankets, two big blankets out of 50 beavers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, beautiful. That, the, I'll show the you The fur sometime. thing is a fascinating one, too, because there's people that are really anti-fur, mm. but yet they're wearing leather. And they probably don't like the oil industry. <laughs> But they drive. (laughs) They drive a car. Well, that was my favorite. I talked about that on stage last night. The fucking stop oil people that block Mm. the highway with their fucking paint on their sign that's made with oil. Wearing (laughs) shoes that are made with oil. Wearing clothes that are made with oil. Unless they're dressed in fur, it's made out of. (laughs) On antidepressants that were made from oil. Mm -hmm. You know, they use oil for everything. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, man. That was. 
that's something that happened in the, the early 1900s. They they figured out how to use uh, p- petroleum based uh, things to make medicine. Huh. Yeah. Oil. God, they got their fingers into everything, don't they? Everything. Not fur. <laughs> Not fur. Yeah, everything. But it's like yeah. the weird thing is like people don't like animal skins that have fur on it. That's you know? the crazy part. Like if you have fur boots, people are like, oh, you piece of shit. Yeah. But if you have leather boots, like, oh, guy's got boots on. Yeah. Normal. It's almost over-noticed, but it always drives me crazy. It's weird. Like, why has it become bad? Why is it so much better to take the fur off? It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. The skin itself is leather, and that's fine. But if you leave the fur on, oh, you fucking creep. Well, <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, that's that's one argument that I, you know, people like to lump, kind of an aside, but lump hunters into trophy hunters or meat hunters, which I think we would all agree, you can be both. Yes. I mean, I take, oh, I am. I take every ounce of the meat from the animals I kill. Every ounce is like is more valuable than gold to me. And I take all the antlers, the hide, I got, you know, claws, I mean... Yeah. It's like all that's all part of that memory of that hunt and I'm honoring yes. that memory and that harvest essentially but I'm also sharing that meat we eat the meat every night or every day and it's like we're both we're not just cuz I I meet people and they say well you're not you're not a trophy hunter are you I'm like yeah mm-hmm. yeah I am and, Yeah I'd be like I'm all kinds of hunters <laughs> Yeah Well you know here's what's interesting it's like we're so separated from the idea of animals and just the wilderness itself being a resource in order to sustain you. But during COVID, there was a bunch of people that reached out to me mm-hmm. and wanted to start hunting because mm-hmm. they had this thought. Because when, like, my friend Duncan went to the supermarket and he sent me a picture, he's like, dude, there's no food. Right. Like, he oh, sent me yeah. a, a photo of the, the meat shelf and there was literally like mm-hmm. a package of ground beef left. Yeah. There was nothing left because the supply chain got interrupted. And people started thinking, oh, my God, we could get to a part where I don't have any food. Like, that's a real reality. Yeah, people felt vulnerable. They felt vulnerable. Yeah. So the two, th- two things started happening to me during that. People started reaching out, asking me about hunting. And then when the George Floyd, George Floyd riots kicked in, the guns. people wanted to borrow guns. <laughs> yeah. People asked to borrow guns. Mm-hmm. How many guns do you have? Can I have one of your guns? <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's not legal. Because <laughs> in Texas, I could just give you one, which is wild. Like in Texas, you don't even have to fill out paperwork. Like if you were a Texas resident and I was a Texas resident, I'm like, you like that gun? You can have it. Oh yeah, most. And that's pl- your yeah, gun. I should say most places, but yeah, that that that's the norm. That's you know? the norm. Yeah. But in yeah. California, I was like, I can't do that. I, it's absolutely yeah. illegal. I could go to jail for giving you a gun. Hmm. Like you have to go through the whole process, and then the lines outside the gun stores were wild. Because what you can't do is you can't go down and buy. You can't go down to the FFL. The federal, like, a, you can't go down to a dealer gun store and buy it and say it's for you and then give it to someone. But else. it's actually your buddy buying it. Right. That you definitely can't do. Right. You can't do that. But in because... terms of you, like, legitimately went and bought it for yourself and then you decided that you did not want it, you can gift that yeah. to a friend. What they're trying to prevent is your buddy saying, hey, go down and buy it for me. I'm a right. felon and can't. Right. That yeah. makes That's sense. That's your ass. So they don't, pro- though, yeah. oddly, they, um, they don't really prosecute people for lying on FFL statements. Interesting. It's a real, yeah, it's a real issue. Well, yeah, that could be definitely an issue if someone's a felon. I mean, but then, then there's also the, the... They'll reject the purchase and not go after the person. But when they have those gun 
fucking conventions when you can go and just what do they call those things? When they, gun shows. Gun shows where people just you can. That's a weird one, right? Yeah. It's like it's they kind of can skirt around some regulations. And that was part of the things that people didn't like. When you hear in the gun control debate, people about talk about trying to close the gun hole loophole as they're trying to put it that they should be subject to FFL transfers. But like when my dad died and I got my dad's guns, um, we didn't do an FFL transfer. No. Right. How does any kid get a their first <laughs> deer hunting like, rifle? Yeah. Right. Like you get you it get from it your dad. From, or your grandpa. Yeah. They're like, here you go, son. Right. Like that's just how it works. It's wrapped right. up under the tree, man. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, it's there's a lot of regulations that make sense, and there's a lot of them that don't, and most of the ones that come out of California don't. I mean, the limiting magazines, that's a fucking insane one, mm-hmm. like down to 10 rounds or certain mm-hmm. guns you can't even buy. They're trying to do, in Oregon, five rounds. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. Didn't Was- Washington already did that, right? Maybe so. Maybe that's what I'm... That is so crazy. Yeah. So no. what do you do if you have a Glock 16? You I, don't? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, that's fucking insane. Yeah, it's insane. I, mean, I can't remember. I, I shouldn't speak to that, but I know that there's a there's. I don't know about on, on long guns. There's a restriction, a magazine restriction. What's interesting is for for hunting waterfowl, federally regulated migratory waterfowl. There's always been a magazine restriction mm. in the field, mm-hmm. um, three rounds, and then uh, as they're trying to lower snow geese numbers to protect Arctic habitats, they've gone in and undone mm. they've made an exception to allow unlimited capacity magazines to hunt snow geese mm. so it's one of those weird areas where you're where you see a a, a real reversal of like a time-honored tradition which is three rounds in your gun to make it that people can kill more snow geese that's mm. an animal that i want to hunt with you one day the ribeye in the sky oh the cranes <laughs> the, yeah oh, sandhill yeah. cranes yeah, yeah. i've heard those are insanely no, great, delicious it's great yeah it's crazy when you see a bird that has like a dark red meat mm-hmm. it's like what is this this isn't a chicken yeah <laughs> what the hell kind of bird is this a friend of mine he's right where he said it's watching one of those come down out of the sky is like watching a folding lawn chair hit the ground. <laughs> it's just a wild bird to hunt. Man. I bet. You know, I, I asked this question to Waddell the other day. What do you guys think would end hunting if anything does? Mm. Do you think it would be um, anti-hunters, politics, or fellow hunters causing division and infighting and whatever public referendums politics politics yeah urban centers urban centers yeah. where people vote and they don't have an understanding of what they're voting on That's you don't gotta wonder problem. about it you know it, it's it's happening yeah it's like a, it's not theoretical well why would you say hunters though like like hunters in what way well they stop hunting? I, because i see fellow hunters there's so much infighting Whereas you look at the anti-hunters, they're so aligned. They're not like, right. oh, oh, parsing this, out the this and that. Yeah, this yeah. this guy is the number one anti-hunter in the United States. No, he's not. He's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> that hunters love like yeah, tearing each other. He ain't funny. a real anti-hunter. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm He's a he's a fucking private he's land anti-hunter. It. He's I'm, ruining it for all of us yeah, anti-hunters. He's right. a wolf in sheep's clothing. So it doesn't happen. They are so aligned. Right. They get they get you know they have the lobbyists working for them. Meanwhile, hunters, fuck, we can't get out of our own way on half the shit. Mm. Yeah, but I have a long history of being a public person, and I understand it from a different dynamic because mm. there's just a thing that happens with men. 
where they become jealous of other men and hateful of other people's success. And then they look at other people for whatever reason as anytime they do something, it takes away from them. Or they look at someone getting attention and somehow or another it takes away from them. And they focus entirely on that person's success or who that person is. And they try to find flaws with them. Yeah. It's a, a natural thing with jealous, weak-minded men. Right. So... We have that in hunting. Yeah, you're gonna have <laughs> so, that in everything, though. I, we have that in comedy. It's a real issue with stand-up comedy. We have that in fighting. But nobody's trying to ban comedy. But they are. You're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's shitty hunt or shitty comics that try to tell people what oh, they what, can and what can't joke about. Make, uh, yeah, like, like woke they comments. All, yep, they all suck. Yeah, there's one thing they have in common. They're all not funny. <laughs> One hundred percent of them, every yeah. single one. There's not a single one that's exceptional. There's not a single one that is anti-comedy about controversial subjects that people are excited to go to see them. That are real comedy fans. That mm. are really good comics. There's not a single anti like controversial joke comic mm -hmm. that other comics seek out to go see. What's mm -hmm. interesting is half your guests are your competitors. Yeah. Half your guests are comics. Yeah, but I don't think of comics ever as <laughs> right. competitors. Oh, yeah. For sure. They're, they're my tribe. Yeah. That, it's like what... I try the best I can to get them more famous. Yeah. I want them to be huge. My that... daughter had a book that described, um, she had a book about jealousy and it described jealousy as a hot, prickly feeling. Mm. I've heard it as a vessel <laughs> that poisons the thing that carries it. Or, mm -hmm. I mean, a, a substance that poisons the vessel that carries it. You know, and that's the best way to look at it. It doesn't do you any good. No. But it can do the opposite. It but can do the opposite if you have a good mindset. If you have a good mindset and you see someone and you're envious, that can be fuel for your success. As long as you manage it in your mind like almost everything else that's complicated. You have to manage it in your mind as like... This can fuel me and be a fantastic resource. When mm -hmm. I see someone's success, I get inspired to work harder. I get inspired mm -hmm. to do more. So I am happy that that person is successful. So if you saw a comic coming up and they were kind of in your wheelhouse and nipping on your heels, you'd be like, I'm going to have that bitch on the show. 100%. <laughs> Every time. I do it all the time. I'm going to shine a spotlight on 100%. that 100%. My, that's look, that's yeah. why I used to take Joey Diaz on the road with me because uh. I couldn't follow him. Yeah. I was like, he's so funny. He was the funniest guy alive. Yeah. And people were like, you take Joey Diaz on the road with you? Are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but but if I can ride that yeah, you're wave. You're setting yourself up to be that one guy that yeah. wasn't as funny as the other guy. Oh, I would hear it all the time. People would say, you know, you know your opening act's funnier than you. I'm like, yeah. Uh, He's the best. <laughs> you have a, you have a unique you have a unique mindset. That that's that's all I worry about, or not all I worry about, but with hunters, we just we have a hard time giving other people credit, being supportive of each other. Some of us, and so with this this disjointedness, that's what I get worried. about. But you about. know how that changes hmm. these conversations. Yeah, well, this gets out there in the zeitgeist. People hear it. They recognize their own failings, their own shortcomings, and their own thought processes. And then they realize this is not admirable. Well, some we, people never will. We can't afford it. Right. I mean, we can't afford it. We can't afford You know, so I'm thankful for outfits like Dan Gates is in Colorado. And then there's another one I wanted to mention called Howl. Yep. And I think, is it John Stallone? Man, I know Dan, we had Dan Gates join us at a live show. And he's we got him uh, scheduled to come on the podcast as voting starts heating up mm -hmm. on the, as voting starts heat, or, you know, as the, we start nearing the date for the initiative in Colorado. Right. I'm familiar with Howell. I was introduced to Howell by 
uh, yeah, my colleague Giannis, mm-hmm. who's a supporter, and um, we've done some things to support them. But man, that name, I probably met him, but just right now I'm spacing it. Right. If I am, so apologies to him. I, I believe it's John Stallone, yeah. but but anyway, it's they are helping keep us organized. They're you know make it easy to send letters to legislators and. It's just, yeah, they're leading the fight on yeah. the, they're leading the fight on the on the hunting bands, right? So and that and especially in that arena right there, that's a positive. That's a big yeah. one. They're still like, in the grand scheme of things, small. Like if you look at numbers of followers or things like that, but they're making an impact. And so mm-hmm. I've I've been trying to I want to support them and and um, help where we can. It's just you know this, you know you're unique when you look at a comic hot comic coming up and you want to celebrate them i wish hunting could be more like that mm-hmm. I, it can be I, it can be you just gotta these weak people have to understand that we know what they are we we see right through them and you're not admirable not only you're not admirable you're not respected by your peers everybody knows you're a bitch mm-hmm. nobody likes a bitch no. and when you're a man and you can't recognize another man's success or you you see a man and you measure yourself up to him and you fall short and so you start shitting on that person Everybody knows what you're doing. Every man knows what you're doing, especially every exceptional man. They know 100% what you're doing. So you have to live with that. And that's how it, it's a poison that, that ruins the vessel that carries it. It's not good for anybody. And it's just a thing that people do. People have always been jealous of other human beings throughout time. But you got to understand for your own personal benefit, that feeling can be changed inside of you to fuel and it will make you a better person it'll make you better at what you do it'll make you understand that competition is critical and vital in order for you to reach your full potential you don't reach your full potential if you're the king and everybody else is a pussy because then you're like well i'm the king everybody else is just a bitch i don't have to be any better but if you're a king around other kings you realize, wow, these guys are all fucking getting up earlier than me, working harder than me, thinking smarter than me, being more effective, recognizing their shortcomings, fixing them, talking about it with other people that do the same, and growing from each other. You know, we have like the, in the mothership, uh, the comedy club that I own, when we get together in the green room during the shows, we're always breaking down bits we're talking shit we don't like hold secrets we don't have like trade secrets i don't want to tell anybody how i write i tell everybody how i write i tell everybody how i correct things i'm like this is a thing that i've noticed that helps me here's a thing that i've added i started listening to my recordings and doing this afterwards when i get home i always do if you just do that one hour every night just think over time how much and then my other friends have said i started doing that dude it's you're right i just sat down for 10 minutes i had a new bit i wouldn't have come up with that bit if i didn't do that like yes yeah now we all learn from each other but if you see this one guy that's out there that's putting in all this extra work and succeeding and you just start shitting on him everybody knows what you're doing you know what you're doing, motherfucker. You know, in mm-hmm. your heart of hearts, you know you're being a bitch. Right. And you can live with that if you like, but I can't. I, I'm allergic to that feeling in me. I hate that feeling. I've experienced it. I know what it is. It'll still bubble up every now and then if someone's killing it. I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, that guy's doing so good. Well, fuck him. You know, like that fuck him part of you is always there. But you got to go, oh, you little bitch. Mm-hmm. I know what you are. You're a little bitch. <laughs> but if you can in do the, that. The, this is in the mirror. Yeah. 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 So, it generally never gets the mirror. It's like I try to squat that fucker as soon as it comes up like a <laughs> yeah. weed. I pull it out right away. But if you don't do that, it's not good. 
It's not good for you. Mm. You never change people's opinions. If someone is doing exceptional work and doing an exceptional job of being very unusually successful, and then you start picking on all the little flaws in that person, and p- people are going to look at you. They're going to go, but you're kind of fat and lazy, and you fuck up all the time, and you're always drunk, and like you got this problem, that problem, and how come you're not looking at your own self mm-hmm. with the same scrutiny that you look at this extremely successful person? Yeah, it's because you're jealous. That's all it is. It's a natural human instinct, but that feeling can be repurposed. That thought can benefit you. That feeling of comparing yourself and coming up short. What you're supposed to do is going, what do I need to do so I don't have this feeling anymore? Well, I need mm-hmm. to work harder. I need to work smarter. I need to do some things that I'm not doing that maybe make me uncomfortable. And that's what I need to do to get better. Yeah. You know, to your point last night, I saw two of the funniest people I've ever seen, Shane and Tony, both putting notes in their phone from comments that were made in the green room. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, we yeah. always do that. Yeah. Really? So they're like, just... He's like, oh, that's okay. I'm going to put this down so I don't forget it. Trying to grow, t- you know, that's exactly what you're talking about. They're they're almost at the top of the game, still trying to get better based on feedback from other comics. Yeah, we always do that. We workshop constantly. We're always in that green room. They're, and I was trying to explain that to one of the managers. I was like, the reason why we have to, like, when comics get together, like, we're at the comics bar and we're all just talking shit, like... If someone is sensitive and they get in that and they start complaining about jokes that are being told, hey, you've got to leave now because this is literally how we spar. Like, this is what we do. If you're complaining that someone is making fun of this person or picking on that person, creating an unsafe work environment, okay, well, you can't be here. Mm -hmm. It's like if you go to the gym and you're trying to be a boxer and you're like, everybody's trying to hit me. Like, that's what they do. This is is how you get better. (laughs) You hit each other. You don't like being hit? You can't be here. You can't fucking be here. And that's, this is like this, the reality of what we do. And the only people that really, truly know that are the practitioners, the ones who are doing this very difficult thing. Look, with stand-up comedy, there's a lot of hunters. There's a thousand of us on earth that are worth a fuck. It might be less. I'm being generous. It's probably 500. It might be 250 that I want to see. On planet earth, 250 comics that I would go out of my way to see. That's not a lot. No. Like, we got to fucking stick together. (laughs) There's so few of us. For you to be shitting on this guy because he's selling out arenas, why do you think people like him? What is it? What's he doing well? He's doing something. Fucking figure it out. Get better. I'm curious. Does comedy have the same? In hunting, it was a big deal when the girls started coming in, right? So... A lot of guys would say, oh, she's just getting this because she's got her tits out or whatever. Right, which is true. And But I could see co- <laughs> I could see comedy being the same. Like, because there are women comics. Did you guys look at women and be like, she shouldn't be up there. It's only She's only up there, get to stage time because she's hot. Well, comedy is a meritocracy. The thing about comedy is if you're not funny, we find out real quick. <laughs> Nobody laughs at you just because your tits are out. Well, the thing about hunting, though, like there's there's gals that become very popular online that are just hot wearing camo. And but that's, how that's, I looked at it is if I can't be more whatever, stand out more than this girl just because she's hot, I must not be that fucking good. 
I think of it in terms of effectiveness. Like, if a girl is really hot and she's got big tits and camel butt, she's also a beast and she's out there really how killing many, a lot of things. How many? Okay, that's not very many. Right. So, so what are you worried about? I'm not. I know. I, but I know you're lot, not. A but lot some of guys, guys were, are. But right. like, what are you worried about? They're not effective. Like, mm-hmm. if there's a girl that's hot and she gets on stage and she's bombing all the time, no one's like, yeah, she's only up there because she's hot. Like, you don't care. Like, if she's bombing, if someone's if someone bombs all the time, you're like, get away from me. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want to be around them. <laughs> They're like, it's like, it's contagious. I but would, if someone's good, like Whitney yeah, Cummings. Right. Whitney Cummings is hot. But she's also really fucking funny. Yeah. And so when Whitney's just a real comic, when we're around Whitney, no one thinks, oh, here's that hot chick that's like, <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's Whitney. What's up? Yeah. It's like, she's one of us. Yeah. But she also is hot. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be that person. It's very fucking rare. But it's doable. Yeah. But she had to go through all these ladders to get there because there's preconceived notions when you see a woman go on stage. You like immediately, mo- a lot of men. I've been guilty of it. You know, what are the odds she's funny? She's too hot. It's like you almost immediately <laughs> think. You can't have it all. <laughs> well, it's not so you think, like, what, how did she ever, like, Richard, Hitch, uh, 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 Christopher Hitchens, rather, wrote uh, a, a long piece for Vanity Fair once called Women Aren't Funny. Mm, was, I remember that. It was brilliant. Mm. He's so, He was so fucking who, smart. Who wrote that? Christopher Hitchens. Okay. Because he could attack things from a level of intellectual introspection like he has looked at this in a way like analyze his own thoughts on funny how he feels how other people feel he broke it down so clearly that like female comics really couldn't even say anything about it because what he was saying was true hmm. he was like the ones that are funny are kind of dykey they're kind of like they're, they're you know, like these and, then, and then he's like, now I'll go back to attacking religion and other yeah. safe subjects <laughs> <laughs> But there's, there was, you know, it's that thing. It's like, why do, why are men funny? Men are funny for a lot of reasons to impress women. That's how they learn to do it, to impress their friends. Mm. Like it's a part of the natural banter that men have when they get together. Women don't necessarily have that same banter. Some mm. do, but most don't. And women don't have to be funny to attract men. They just have to look good. So they think they're funny because guys are laughing at anything because they want to sleep with them. They're like, oh, you're so funny. I remember, <laughs> I remember when we were young, someone pointing out that for a girl to say a guy was nice is not good. Oh, right. They're like, right. dude, she said you're nice. And they're like, if she says that he's funny, that's mm. a real good sign. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's, it's true. Because you don't want the nice thing. There's uh, less funny women, but the women that are funny, I, I respect the shit out of them. Because it's so hard to do. Especially, first of all, your subject matter's limited. Because nobody wants to see a woman talking about politics on stage. Very few men want to see a woman with like very strong political opinions on things. Mm. Like, shut the fuck up. They get mad. <laughs> and then if you talk about sex, you talk about sex too much. Oh, she's a slut. Mm-hmm. Like, there's all these thoughts. That, <laughs> yeah. That's always struck me as the unfair thing is how much guys get uncomfortable by that. Oh, totally unfair. Yeah. Totally yeah. unfair. Guys Completely get real unfair. like, oh. <laughs> but it does create a a situation for a woman comic that if a woman comic can navigate that they become undeniable if you can navigate all those preconceived ideas that people have about you before you go on stage but Mm -hmm. yet you still succeed at making them laugh that's black belt shit that's (laughs) high level comedy that's what whitney can do yeah you know she 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 i've seen people look at her when she gets on stage and they're like she's hot whatever yeah yeah she's hot 
And then and then she starts killing, and they're like, God damn it, she's fucking funny. And then after a while, you just give in. They're like, wow, she's fucking great. And then you're laughing. You're just enjoying yourself. But it's it's much more complex. Whereas a fat guy gets on stage, and you know he's already funny. He's funny looking. Big, fat, <laughs> stupid looking guy, and he starts talking about himself being fat. And then, you know, you got a lot of, yeah, people eat a lot of leeway. Yeah. You know, I want to return to, for a minute, you talking about um, after... You know, comics being in the green room, workshopping. Mm-hmm. If if in Colorado they lose this ballot initiative about hunting bobcats and hunting mountain lions around this definition of trophy hunting, uh, and America's hunters get together in the green room and workshop what went wrong, yeah, uh, I think they're going to determine that what went wrong is not. Um, identifying with and fighting for people who are engaged in activity that that a specific segment of the activity that you're not engaged with right and needing to come into the awareness that like this as this plays out this will get around to impacting you Mm -hmm. yes yeah but you have to have that ability to do that this is going to get around this is like the next thing that comes up is going to be something that is going to like strike at you near and dear it's going to be bow hunting is cruel, unnecessarily cruel. Right. Yeah. Right. There are people that have that perspective yeah. that are haunters. Yeah. And then they're going to, yeah. then you're going to be like, you're going to freak out. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. When they start coming. This is going too far. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Then you'll, then and you'll, it'll be, you'll be the one that you, you ignored when other, uh, you'll be ignored when other traditional use practices we're getting eliminated because it didn't affect you, and then now here it is on your doorstep. Yeah. There's also a thing about hunters where they're competitive in a different way than, like, say, in comparison to stand-up comics. Because stand-up comics, you have that audience to yourself. It's not like they killed the audience. The audience doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> like, I had a great audience. Oh, did you kill them all, you fucking piece of That's shit? Now this yeah. other yeah. audience you used them up. Yeah, but if, like, you go to the mountains and you kill a 400-inch bull— like, that's a 400-inch bull that's gone now. Yeah. I can't kill that bull. Now, oh, he fucking kills all the big bulls. There's no bulls left. Audiences are always there. And the more comics that are really funny, the more it makes comedy grow, and you mm-hmm. get more audiences. You're not assassinating them. Yeah. yeah but, but you could be competing with them on any given night, though. You're yeah. both You're both in Toledo on Monday. <laughs> sort of. But when it's your opportunity, it's your opportunity. And it's just your own shortcomings that are allowing you to fail in comparison to them. Mm-hmm. It's not them doing something. It's not like they're yelling at you from the side of the stage trying to fuck up your routine. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it's like when you have your time, that's your time. And that's. Yeah. I think, you know, with a bull, there's more bulls, though. You know, it's not like there just are, one. but there's not a lot of 400 inch bulls. No. And if you're a, you're a public land hunter and there's a specific unit and there's, you know, it's allocated 150 tags for the specific unit and everybody's in there hiking out trying and one guy shoots this big ass bull. That's a big ass bull that you're not going to be able to kill. Yeah. And so there's a different level of competition because even though it's a renewable resource, it's a limited resource. Yeah. And there's also exceptional aspects to that resource, like an enormous animal. A very unusual, rare outlier of an animal that if someone kills it, now you can't. So there's that competition. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the the fucking dick measuring thing where guys are taking grip and grins. You know, one of the things that's really disturbing to me is the numbers thing. You know, um, um, I was talking to a friend of mine who was a guide and he was furious 
because this guy who is this well-known hunter shot a mule deer and it was a beautiful mule deer but it was only 189 inches and he wanted a 190 he wanted a 200 inch oh and he didn't think of it as like he's oh. like it's just a just a buck just a buck. And this guy was like, I would cut off my left nut to shoot that fucking buck. Mm-hmm. And this guy is this rich, famous hunter who goes in and he's complaining about it. He's not even appreciating yeah. this thing. Uh, it's a buck. Just a buck. It's Just like, a that's buck. That's a giant buck. It's a giant old seven, eight-year-old deer. That's a giant Dude, deer. I'll, yeah, but it's funny. I'll get something. I have a lot of stuff that I've never measured, never will. Um I got a really nice moose this year. I don't, you know, I don't even, I don't, no one measures. I should say no one. Yeah. Pretty much no one measures moose. You tell about how wide they are and you leave it at that. Mm -hmm. But I will have stuff for now and then someone's like, uh, you know, around me that likes to do that. And I'd be like, dude, measure that thing. I'm just curious about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I I don't hate the. It's a point of reference. Yeah. I don't hate the number system. I get curious about like, I'm curious about all aspects of all all aspects of hunting and wildlife and. And the Boone and Crockett system is of interest to me. Yeah, I don't yeah. live and die by it, when but some, I'd be, you know, I'd yeah. be, at times I'm not curious what that is. But if someone shot a real stomper, I might be like, "What is that, you know, dude? Like, what, what did it, what did it yeah, tape out to?" Tape, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I that's what I do too. I don't necessarily care about what I, if I kill something just because I just was there. Mature animal. I'm not. I'm not thinking about is this 400? Is this what, no anything? And I I said this the other day and talking to Waddell, it's like, you know, people talk about that you get great opportunities to hunt you know i mean that's just all there is to it but i said joe i've never heard joe talk about a score of something or he didn't want to kill it because i said he doesn't care there's been one antlered elk that he's like he would kill it he right i've Wouldn't tried you? to yeah and, and you, the you're guys fine with pulled it. me off so, yeah. i'm like i don't care <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna eat that right and it's, he's a big bull like i kind of i think it's kind of cool when they have broken antlers right so it doesn't so bother me at all people will, will take shots at you because you killed a, a giant bull and this and that and they've been hunting their whole lives it's like you don't give a fuck you just want to hunt you're hunting yeah and you don't care what it scores you're not after like the biggest bull on the mountain you just love hunting and like that's the truth People can turn it into whatever they want. Yeah. They're wrong. I'm like Daniel Boone, man. I go to the best hunting place I can go. Yeah. Yeah. You should. Like, I don't know many people that, yeah. Who wouldn't? I don't know many people that if they said, like, hey, man, we're going to go on family vacation and we found this sweet spot, but then we got to thinking we should actually go to family vacation in a shitty spot. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's also all the, the, it's the same thing that we're talking about with jealousy. If those people had the resources that I have, and if you didn't do what I do, you're a moron. You don't go to the places where there's elk screaming all over the place and it's I'm a, awesome. I'm a, yeah, I'm always looking for good opportunities. Yeah. I mean, I'll take the shitty ones too because I'm looking to get out all the time. So I'll yeah. take the shitty ones. I'll take the good ones. But I'm gonna generally like if I get to a, if I'm at a, a fork in the trail, and one side is like good and one side's bad, I'm going up the good one. A hundred percent of the time. Yeah. It's, I, yeah. It's just a resource thing, you know. Like, do, do you have the ability to do that? If you don't. You might criticize people to do. Oh, ever since I was a little kid, we went to the, the, I did the best thing, you know, I did, I went to the best spot I could get my Find hands on. Find the best on. fishing hole. Always. <laughs> Whatever it's like. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you, you're right. It's a resource thing. Cause when I started where I killed that spike bull that I talked about earlier, that was Warehouser Timber Company land. Anybody could go there. Everybody could go there. Freaking hard hunting to kill a bull with a bow so hard up there 
that was as tough as it got, right? So then I'm like, well, God, we could go to the wilderness. It's more open. It's on the east side of the state where I was hunting the west side of the state. The bulls are more vocal. It's the high country. That's better hunting. God, but that cost, we got to drive all the way eight hours across the state. We need gas money. We need food when we're there. We're not just going home every night, but it was better hunting. So yeah, Roy sold a gun. We got some money. We drove over there, better hunting. Then it was like, shit, Oregon, Oregon sucks hunting wise compared to other states. It's like, I wonder if I could hunt Wyoming, put in for a general tag in Wyoming, drew it, killed a six by six bull. Next time I drew it, killed a seven by six. I'm like, God, this is so much better than Oregon, but it's $1,100 for this premium elk tag that I was putting in for. Got to work a little harder. Got to come up with some more resource. You said it's, it's a resource that you're allocating. Worked a little harder. That was better hunting. It's just that process. I started with the shittiest hunting you can get in the shittiest state to hunt. Basically, maybe Washington's about as no, bad. No, my state was way shittier than your state. <laughs> yeah, bro, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but you you keep working. Don't for these... you give me shitty state? <laughs> your shitty what, Michigan? state stuff. Michigan is that I'll where? Tease it, but oh, no, yeah. we, we 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 I had it quite good. I'm just joking with you. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's how people think. Oh, no, yeah. it, it's true. It, you're right. But anyway, the point is, is like you keep working, you keep moving up the ladder to get. To better hunting mm-hmm. yeah now it, it crosses the line and i do understand when people are killing high fence animals in small properties and they're making it look like this is a wild animal yeah you know, there's a, there there comes a line and that line gets crossed all the fucking time right here in texas yeah i don't because like- i know people that have i know a guy who has a 200 acre high fence property mm-hmm. and i'm like ooh. Yeah, that's rough. Go there. That's rough. I can't go there. If you have a fifteen, twenty thousand acre high fence property, I'm like, okay, what are the odds those animals? Unless it's a mule deer, it's a migratory animal. What are the odds those animals would ever get out of that fifteen thousand acres in their normal natural life? Mm -hmm. As long as you're not feeding them, if you're not like like I'm standing over a feeder waiting for them to show up at five p.m. As long as it's not that, it's just hunting. And when people start talking about private land versus public, I understand the appeal. And I understand that public land should be available to everybody, and I agree. And I think it's an amazing thing that we have here in America, where we have these resources where any person can go to a place where you can get a general tag and go to public land and hunt. I think it's amazing. Mm -hmm. But you're also dealing with animals that are acting in a very unnatural way because they're highly pressured. So if you have a lot of hunters and a lot of pressured animals – you're dealing with an animal that's not acting like a wild animal. You're dealing with something that's being constantly harassed. And that, to me, is unnatural. Well, that, you know, then you get into, like, a history debate because you're on landscapes that have been hunted. But I would agree that high pressure um, absolutely changes everything about how they conduct. Yeah. Their business. You're also competing with other guys. Like I've I've talked to guys that have had situations where they know that they are downwind, or they're you know they're they're upwind rather. Their, their, their wind is going to come down on an animal, but they see someone stalking that animal and they try to get to it first, mm. and they know they're going to bust it. <laughs> they know it and they don't they, give a. Fuck. They would rather bust it than yeah. have the other guy kill it. Yeah, yeah they'd rather take man. a chance. And th- there's so many morons that are doing it. I think the best case scenario is human beings interacting with absolutely wild animals in a way where these animals aren't acting as natural as they would be as if human beings didn't exist. 
that's best case scenario. Yeah. And if you can get to the most remote places, that's where you can get that in I, the most wild places. I will say your example about you didn't want somebody else to kill it. So you're going to go down. I, I've probably done that before. <laughs> it's like <laughs> when I was, when I was hunting, it's like every man for himself. Yeah. Well, I've, not, ra- I've raised people. I mean, uh, I, I've yeah, also so, backed out of races. Yeah. I, where it, felt, I, it just felt too weird, and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do this. Because yeah. I, I remember, here's how much I wanted to protect my, in that same logging country, I would go out, and the road would end, maybe, I didn't want to drive out to the logging unit, because that's going to spook all the deer, especially in the headlights before it's, you know, light, and you're out there waiting. So I'd park, like, half a mile back and walk out there. But I didn't want anybody else driving out there, so I'd park in the middle of the road, sideways, leave my truck there. It's like, I'm not saying you can't come out there but you're not driving people <laughs> people lost their shit i mean oh, yeah, i would dude. hear gunshots going off of my truck then i'm like Fuck, are they shooting my truck you know you don't or are they gonna shoot me when I, so i did a lot of this crazy stuff i mean i'm very competitive yeah. um i did want to also clarify one point because you said animals on fifteen thousand acres you know would wouldn't react be reacting they wouldn't know they were in a fence type thing I, because I've I've seen people say crazy shit about oh, our hunting, but you, the bulls you kill are not in a fence. No, have no never fence. been in a fence. No. Always been fair chase. Always been. I've even said, oh, these bulls run beta blockers. Oh, some crazy bullshit. Beta anyway, blockers. Beta blockers. So on bulls to, to limit their their, have, their adrenaline. I don't even know spike? what the hell it do. So well, the, beta I guess, blockers. I guess so like calm. athletes can't use them. And there's there's they certain not sports. Scared. Yeah, it kills your no. adrenaline. So Spike. people say crazy shit. I don't want them turning in that you were validating a, a big uh, high, high fenced fit. area. No, and I've never done that. No, so I don't do that. You're, the bulls you're hunting are wild, fair chase. There's predators around. There's lions. There's bears. There's I mean, this is wild elk. So oh, yeah. I just oh. want to make that clear because people yeah. t- say they say crazy shit. Maybe even 15,000 acres is not a good example. So like, let's say like uh, the four six ranch that my friend Taylor Sheridan owns. Mm-hmm. It's two hundred and seventy thousand acres. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. He doesn't right. fence that. No. God, no. that would be a lot but, of money in a. Field. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but even if he did, <laughs> but even if he did, yeah. you know, that's like the fuck. Yeah. Like that's where they live. You yeah. Know? You just put a fence to keep other people from going in. You're really not. You're not stop. That's like natural habitat. Yeah, I mean the whole country's fenced in by oceans. you could look at it that way. But I've, yeah. I've never done it, and uh, I've never done it, and I've had like occasion to debate people about it. But I still like maybe I used to be a little friskier about arguing about all the finer points. But it's just it's um, I haven't done it. Uh, I, just, I don't really think about it. You know, what I mean? it's not the same thing. Yeah, you know, like when I talk it. to guys who hunt out here, and most of them are pretty honest about it, the way they do it, like the hunt over feeders. These are not people that hunt a lot. They don't practice a lot. But when they get a chance, it's essentially like a kind of harvesting animals. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a type of farming because mm-hmm. you're, if you're hunting over a feeder, and like they'll put you in a tree stand and say, "All right, the feeder goes off at five o'clock," and you're like, "What?" Yeah, it's Is a collision of animal. It's a collision of husbandry and animal husbandry. Yeah, of hunting and animal husbandry, where you're using the sort of harvest tactics of hunting, but you're employing a lot of the principles of animal husbandry. Yeah, it's not the same thing. It's not going into the mountains like we do, like we're, we're hunting in Utah or you're going to Colorado. You're going in the mountains. Yeah, well. These are and, wild animals. And, they're unfenced. And to that point, it's not guaranteed. 
Not I mean, at all. when we were there this last season, great. It's great property. I mean, it, I, nobody could argue that it's incredible elk hunting. But there was hunters the week we were there who didn't kill. The week after we were there, seven guys did not kill. Well, the week we were there, only three did. So only three guys killed with a bow. People make it sound like it's just shooting fish in a barrel and guaranteed hundred percent. It's like how many hunters <laughs> were there the week we were there? Uh, I'm not sure. There was, I uh, there had to be thirty. I don't know. It's a it's a big piece of property, and it's fucking hard, man. Mm-hmm. And you got to be in shape. Yeah, you got to be we in put real in miles, miles, ten miles a day, ten miles a day through the mountains. The end of the day, you're fucking exhausted. You're eating everything you can get in your face. Yeah, you're so tired, and then you're getting up in the morning and you're doing it again. And the, the idea that, that somehow or another that's cheating, you could think that if you like. But if you yeah. do it, you go there. You won't think that. If you go there, you're like, oh, this is just an amazing opportunity in uh, a beautiful landscape where wild animals live unmolested. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still lions there. Oh, I mean, the one that we saw. Yeah, that was the first time I ever saw a full-grown big-ass cat in the wild. It's like, wow! I got to watch one miss a deer down in Mexico this year. It was really cool. Oh wow! Yeah, you know, mm. watched him come in. It was a doe. She was traveling. I watched him come in ahead of her, and he kept looking down and trying to guess her trajectory, and then got and laid down, and then missed her. Mm. Did he go after her and oh, missed yeah, her? Yeah, wow. yeah. Like you couldn't. T- I mean, it, when it was like a ball of fur, dude, and she comes squirt. Well, I'm saying I'm kind of simplifying it. Where there was a forky I didn't know about, and she got up right next to this forky, and then the lion blew out and kind of first tried to roll that forky, and then sort of sprang out of that and tried to get the doe. But it was like he was he was flock shooting. Oh, he didn't <laughs> like, have a target. He probably if you asked him, he probably had a target. But man, they ran like hell. Wow, but it was cool to see, dude. That was the That's second cool lion I saw see. that night. Yeah, oh, that, wow. that was a rarity. Yeah. yeah, that when I was in Colorado this year, in the week that I was there, I killed a bull, buck, and a bear in that week. I saw four lions. Hmm. Wow. So many lions in that country. That's a lifetime supply for seeing them without dogs. It's a. Uh, it was insane, but it's uh yeah, I was gonna say that story reminded me of you said the flock shooting. I remember this old guy who come back from to hunting camp when I first started. I was like, "You see anything?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah." So I got on a good herd. I said, "Did you get a shot?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah." What happened? He's like, "Well, I shot over some and I shot under some." <laughs> I just never forget. I could just envision that there's the herd and. <laughs> Trying to get an arrow in one of them, but uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, you imagine being a Native American with a fucking handmade bow chasing after those things. I bet tough. shit didn't spook 200 yards away back I bet then, it. Though. yeah, so. that's true. Yeah, but you know, that I the first I'm trying to think, man, the first three or so deer I got, I got on on when I was a kid, I killed the first deer when I was 13. The first three or so deer I got, I got all on private property. And then I killed, I went into the White River, um, kind of the, we used to call it the White River Swamp, but down on, on National Forest land and killed a fawn one October with my bow. And you didn't hear people, like people didn't celebrate public land hunting then. It was like you were slumming it. Mm. <laughs> so you were there because you couldn't get, a, no farmer was going to let, you, you didn't know any farmers. Right. 
you know, if you went out on public land in Michigan and you went to anybody that was on public land and said, hey, do you want to hunt, like, the farm over there? No one is like, out of principle, by God, I'm staying here. They would just, they would go to the farm. But when I did get that fawn deer, which I killed over a bait pile in the White River Swamp, um, it felt good, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was aware of having did this thing that I would have, yeah, to having did this thing that I would have regarded as almost like semi impossible, right? You know, to pull that off. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have a deep respect for people that can shoot mature animals on public sure, land. Man. That yeah. is very hard to do. And it's very, I mean, I, and I get that you would have a higher sense of pride. I, I totally get it. I've gotten, I've gotten a handful, I've gotten like four big mule deer, um, nice mule deer. I've never killed a mule deer on private property. And I got four good mule deer on public property. And like that. Like, I can't deny that, that that sort of means a thing to me. Yeah. You know, not that I wouldn't. Like, if someone tomorrow, if I drew some tag in some area and some guy's like, oh, hunt my ranch, I'd go hunt that ranch all day long. But it just ha- it sort of, like, happens that that's true, and I don't look at it and think differently of it the same way all kinds of factors play into it, you know? I, yeah. But every year, like, I've gotten some big coos deer, and I've never uh, – all the coos deer I've killed on big private ranches in Mexico – Um uh, except for Arizona, but gotten nice deer on big private ranches in Mexico and love the experience. It's yeah. just, I, I like all that. I mean, I'm into all that stuff, man. You know? Yeah, I, I get why people would think a certain way because it's very similar in a lot of ways to bow hunting versus rifle hunting. Yeah, a little if bit more If you see proud. someone that kills a big bull with a rifle, you're like, yeah, that's that's a big bull, man. That's awesome. But if you see someone that kills a big bull with a bow, you're like, whoa, that's a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, it feels way different. As someone who shot bulls with rifles and shot bull with a bow and arrow, you cannot compare. In my fe- The way it makes me feel, when I make a perfect 52-yard shot and I watch that arrow go into the crease behind the shoulder and you watch that bull buck up and you know you got him, you're like, whoa! Mm-hmm. It's like there's nothing like it. There's mm-hmm. nothing like it. There's nothing. I was hunting with Evan Hafer from Black Rifle Coffee this uh, past uh, October. We were both uh, elk hunting at this ranch, and uh, I shot this bull, and it was like on the fifth day of a six-day hunt. It was a mm. lot of huffing. There was a lot of fucking missed opportunities, a lot of getting winded, a lot of, a lot of shit went down. But when I finally snuck in, and it was a long-ass stalk, it was like... It took me an hour and a half to cover about 40 or 50 yards because I was the, the, the elk was bedded and I was barefoot. I was just in my socks and I was just slowly creeping, slowly creeping. And every time he'd move his head, I'd stop and I was slowly creeping. When I finally released that arrow and it hit that bull mm-hmm. and I heard that whack and the bull literally ran 30, 40 yards and piled up, the woo that I let out, you could have heard it. A fucking mile away. I, they heard it on the other side of the canyon. <laughs> they were watching with binoculars, and they heard, whoa, because it's so different. Yeah. If I shot it with a rifle, I'd still be pumped. It's a beautiful bull. It's meat. Mm-hmm. I'm psyched. I got all this food now. This is incredible. This is what I wanted. This is what I was working for. But it's harder. It's harder to do on public land. It's harder to do with a bow. There's, it's always, little, to do. there's always little factors yeah. that, like, any accomplishment, there's always little factors that wind up. Um, 
you know, Accentuating. elevating yeah. experience or, or, or some other thing, you know, and then you get into like where I'm at now in life where for me, the, the high, like the most elevated experience is to have to witness my kids do something, mm, right? To yeah. take my kids hunting. Yeah. Well, Cam always talks about that, like his favorite experiences when he takes people for their first time. Mm-hmm. Like you were telling me about that, the, the time you took that woman. The, yeah, cat. Yeah. She shot that deer and you guys are eating it. Like, is it oh. getting any better than this? No. You introduce something to this thing that you love, you have deep passion for. They get to experience. You see them get lit up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've done that so many times. Yeah. I'm sure. Oh, I want. I wanted to take Steve on that hunt. I think I mentioned that. Yeah, to yeah you. we did text about yeah, that. Yeah, that was. I just. So loved, I missed out. You missed out. <laughs> it's, you're done. That's it. But uh, no, I just especially that one because that's Oregon blacktail, which I grew up hunting in Western Oregon. So I really love sharing. You know the lo- small little logging community, the badass loggers there that are tough as hell. Just that little Western Oregon vibe. I love sharing that. But then she also killed a big four by four buck with the eye guards. Just this old, big old buck, and it was. Then we, you know, of course, packed it out as a steep logging unit. Then we cooked it up the next morning. It definitely the highlight. I killed quite a few animals this year. None better than that. Mm-hmm. That was the highlight. I didn't kill it. Yeah. But it was yeah. just that experience. It's, uh, yeah, there's nothing, you know, in my kids, I took Truett the same. He killed a buck down there too this year. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you get to where, and I'll, I said I was very competitive, very tunnel vision. It was all about me. And that, you know, with age, that changes. And then you're like, no, I want to I want to share this with people. Yeah. So it's. Uh, well, if you don't do that. How are they going to find out? And one of the things that you've talked about so many times, Steve, is the barrier to entry for someone who's like they're thinking about hunting. Like I thought about it for years. My wife used to go crazy because I would be at home watching Spirit of the Wild. (laughs) She's like, what the fuck are you watching? Why are you watching Ted Nugent? And I'm like, I want to figure out how to do this someday. And then yeah. I watch your show. Casey the, plays. I got to be here in case he plays Fred Bear. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you. The Whackmaster. When I first saw your, your original show, The Wild Within, right? That was what it was called. Mm, yeah. When I first saw that show, I was like, oh, I want to talk to that guy. And that was before Meat Eater even started. And then when you invited me to come hunting with you, I was like, oh, finally. Now I can figure this out. But if it wasn't for that, having someone like you to show me how to do it and to take me out and to. To have you be my guide, like fuck. What are the what are the odds? Mm-hmm. I'll see yeah. people making like like young hunters or people just starting to hunt now. I'll see them make this like horrible decisions, you know. Yeah, we're like, oh, I think I'm going up there in the morning. And on one hand, I'll uh, on one hand I'll feel like bad. I'll be like, oh my god, it's a horrible idea. On the other hand, I'm like, dude, yes. Like that's all the stuff that you like that I had to do when I was figuring anything out. Yeah, like hats off to you, dude. Yeah. You're going to get up and go, like, you don't know it, but you're getting up early. You're going to go try something. I recognize it as the dumbest thing you could possibly do, but, like, that's that's how you do it, man. That's, that's how, how you, you learn. learn. Mm-hmm. So that barrier to entry, like, some people are, have the fort, mental fortitude where they're just going to take it on. Yeah. And then some people are going to sit and be like, yeah, I'm not, you know, I don't have it in me to really figure this hard-ass thing out. Well, until you've experienced success, it's very difficult to mm-hmm. justify the work. And if the, it seems insurmountable. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people that don't have someone like you or someone like you taking them out, it's it's almost insurmountable because there's so many things you have to learn. It's not intuitive. It's something that you have to figure out through trial and error or you have to read a lot or watch a lot of videos mm-hmm. and absorb all that information. Yeah, mostly it's you have to learn it yourself, you know, because yeah. you can read. Reading helps. Watching helps. Talking helps. You just got, 
just as you said, that's how they learn. They get out there, they do it themselves, and then they're like, well, that didn't work. Now yeah. what? And that's that's how you learn. That's what's hard about hunting with that barrier to entry is that experience accumulates slow for most people. Yeah. Like yeah. when I was hunting back home, I would get a week for elk. That's all. So a week a year. And that's it. <laughs> you know, so I had to go out, take photos, try to be out there amongst them, learn body language, learn what they like to do. And that takes years. So when somebody comes in late, yeah, they can't mm-hmm. shortcut that experience part. We were we were lucky to grow up doing it, and now we're in a position where we can share it. But it's it's tough if you didn't grow up doing it. Yeah, there's a few places people will teach you how to do it. You know, Jesse Griffiths has that school. What is it called? New school style. What is it? What is it again? His school. But he has a, a literal like limited. It's edition. not the new school, but that's in it. Yeah, space something. The name of it. Maybe. So he has Jamie will pull it up, but he but he has a program where he'll take you. He'll teach you how to shoot. He'll teach you how to hunt. He'll teach you how to butcher. Teach you how to cook. The whole thing. He'll take you through the whole process. That's so valuable. How if ma- there's something that you can do, and especially with a renewable resource like pigs, yeah, new school of traditional. That's right. Cooker. And there, is like a like a somewhat contradictory. Yeah. yeah new school of traditional cooking. Yeah. It, but that's so valuable. Where yeah. someone can take you through the whole process, and there's not a lot of that available, unfortunately. And even if it. If it was available, it would be very difficult to screen applicants to make sure that it's even worth taking your time. Mm. Because if you got a guy and you know he's 50, 60 pounds overweight and got a bad knee, and you want to take him on a mule deer hunt in the mountains, like we can't really do this. Yeah. Like you're gonna have to lose weight. You're gonna have to get in shape. You're gonna have to figure out a way to be able to get to yeah, where get these in, animals or get are. into something different. Yeah, this is not an easy task. I like the true, like, there's an area, and I don't think everyone needs to get there. There's an area of expertise or a level of expertise that I think is is admirable, and it's, you know, you, you learn how to hunt some particular spot, and that's great, right? You learn how to hunt some particular spot, and that's your hunting spot, and you get it really figured out, and that's a wonderful journey, and that that's really good. I think that... that Getting to the point where you get that place and thing that you're comfortable at, and then you go and be like, okay, I'm going to take whatever it is I learned there and try to apply it to something totally different and, and figure that different thing out. Right. And get where you're good at these spots and these things, but you become good at like deciphering, figuring out, and being able to move into totally new things and, and carry that accumulative knowledge into these new spots like that becomes pretty fun yeah and, and that's that's a high like, i regard that as being not a not better but a high level of expertise well there's also variables that maybe some people that are successful in other disciplines don't recognize as they enter into this new world that there's different parameters like for instance if you got someone who's a successful whitetail hunter that hunts out of a tree stand mm-hmm. a really good archer but they're used to shooting a 65-pound bow with like a 350-grain arrow, and they're used to shooting these animals that are fairly small. In, in, and then you take them on an elk hunt, yeah. and you're like, hey, that setup with this three-blade mechanical with a 60-pound bow, and you're shooting a fucking enormous animal with huge bones. Like, you might not even get through the ribs with that thing. You might center a rib, and that's a wrap. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to recognize you're dealing with a totally different thing. And you're you're not you can't just be weak. You have to be physically strong. You have to be capable of making it to. You're not going to sit in a tree stand 
Like, you've got to change everything about the way you approach it. Yeah, you got very successful with this one aspect of this thing, but you've got a whole new thing now you have to apply it to. And if you don't, you're going to wound animals. You're going to have problems, or you're going to just not be successful at all. I remember the first time I went out with a guy uh, deep dropping for swordfish. So I watched the guy catch a couple swordfish in 1,300 feet of water. And I realized I knew nothing about fishing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. so specific. You know? Oh, my God, man. Like, all the shit you think you know, then you go out there, and you're like, you're not going to catch a fish out here. <laughs> you can't do that. But yeah. nowadays with fishing, you know, Steve, I sent you that thing the other day where the guy had, uh, he had a, a screen on his phone, and there was some sort of a camera yeah, attached was, to his line. It's like, li- oh, that guy, yeah, that was crazy. Wild. Mm-hmm. So this guy cast out, mm-hmm. and he's looking at a screen with like a lid over it to shield the sun on his rod as he's reeling. He's seeing the fish coming towards his bait. Yeah, not like wow. ice fishing with a camera, but he's like, yeah. he has a camera watch. On a, he's casting and has a camera watching fish interact with his bait wow. while he does a retrieve. Huh. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really get that. It was cool. I've never yeah. seen that before. I was like, this is crazy. But the, the things that I've sent you, the ice fishing guys, they, that's nuts, man. They got fucking cameras down there mm-hmm. and like a, a fully heated shack where they're mm-hmm. watching television. And I was telling you, my kid don't want to ice fish without the camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an added element. You see the fish. You're like, yeah. this is so cool. You can watch them sneak up to it. Yeah. Uh, you know? Is, uh, yeah, that's, it reminds me there's something new in hunting now, which I, I don't like. But it's that the heat-seeking binoculars. I think it's heat-seeking. Oh, thermal. Thermal. Thermals. Yeah. yeah. Thermals. And to me, I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, you can't use I, it for big game hunting. No, it's not. There's some states where it's not regulated. It's, it's not regulated. They don't even mention it. No, no, no. You can't. But yeah, but you can't get outside illegal shooting hours. No, but to find them. Oh, I see what you're saying. Are there states where you're allowed to find game with thermal? I uh, I think it's not. It's just not disallowed. Yeah, I got it's it. It's not addressed. Well, there's an e- an issue now where they're banning drones that use thermal for recovery. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't like because your scout. The the argument is your scout. Of too. course, you yeah. could be if you're a piece yeah. of shit. But like. <laughs> What guys could conceivably do, like in Oregon, as I'm talking about in Western Oregon, glassing those big, huge logging units and finding deer is an art. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is hard to pick those things up. But if you could just put, you know, and find the thermal register of it. Sure. There. Oh, it's right there. You know, that, and that's like a big part of killing a buck. I don't like that. I, that needs to be regulated. Giannis sure. was just hunting in Latvia. Mm. And in Latvia, they get out in a clear cut. Middle of the day, whatever. They're going to get out in a clear cut and put a thermal up and be like, nope, hop back in the car and roll out. Yeah, I don't. Wow. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. And he's I like, I like can't that. believe you guys could, you know, I can't believe you guys do that. Like, I can't believe you don't do it. Yeah. Right. It works, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, I, I was know. in Scotland, uh, there's stag where we were at. Mm. I was like, this is amazing. And they, they had a hunting ranch out there. And they said, do you want to hunt? And I said, do you guys use rifles? And he goes, yeah. I go, can you use a bow? Can I bring a bow? And they go, no, we don't allow mm-hmm. it in the country. And I was like, what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't allow Can you watch me shoot first? <laughs> like, like, yeah. Can I talk, talk to the governor? Let me set up a target at 80 yards <laughs> and show you. Like, mm-hmm. this is, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, let me do this. Mm-hmm. You, you can't. Yeah, I think, uh, was it uh, South Africa? There was, like, quite a lobbying effort to uh, allow archery equipment. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, they, there's some countries over there that didn't have it. I, I don't can't. I think Ted Nugent was involved in something about having to show the the how lethal it was mm-hmm. before they would allow. Yeah, it. it was a lethality concern. Yeah, yeah. No. yeah. And I don't know what it was for. I don't know if it's for elephant or something like that. But isn't that always the case when people just don't know? And you think of an, an a bow and arrow, you're like, well, that's not as a, use a gun, stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so much more effective. You know, when I have that conversation with people that are non-hunters, and they're like, "Why do you use a bow and arrow?" I go, "It says you're more connected. It's it's quiet. It's like there's so many things about it that are just. It's more difficult to do. It requires more discipline and concentration. It's more rewarding when you do it. They're like, Isn't a rifle better though? Oh yeah. Why don't? Are you trying to get meat? Yes. Yeah. Do you, support, a- do you support spear hunting? Like I have no. I have no. I have zero problem. Zero problem with spear hunting. I don't think it's going to be a thing that impacts game numbers. Impossible. I, uh-huh. I 100% support it with, with pigs. Uh-huh. With, but I think when that I say when support it, I mean, it, like, I feel that if you had a regulation, I, I feel that that if, if, if someone wanted to say we'd like to open it up that people could hunt with a spear, I would probably generally say, okay, I just, because I don't think that this is going to be. A thing that uh, reduces opportunity. Well, you know, you remember the thing that happened in Canada oh, with sure, Josh man, Bomar. Yeah. They banned spear hunting because of this one controversial mm-hmm. moment where it was totally legal. Everything he did was totally legal. Yeah, and they said, just the thing no one realized because yeah. there's things that are legal and they're legal because they're not illegal. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to hunt with a spear, but I get it. You know, but I always feel like it's a gimmick. Like when I see someone hide in a tree and they spear a pig, they're showing that it can be done. Yeah, yeah. it's kind I, of a gimmick. I, yeah, I, I haven't done it. Um, I can't. I wouldn't. Can't picture getting into it by any stretch. But I just don't think it. Uh, I, I think it hits like traditional for sure. And then I think it's not like I don't think it's going to throw off. Um, population levels and, and and lead to like decreased opportunity no it's i don't think anybody's gonna be like the spear guys got them all right you they know? got the, all the big bulls <laughs> like the bow hunters because they can hide in trees yeah i mean even if they wouldn't have made it illegal who the hell was gonna spear hunt a bear besides right. josh up there right it's less it right. was it was just it it you caused, need a real psycho <laughs> it caused such a stir that they had to address it yeah. essentially yeah. so it's uh but yeah it wasn't going to have an impact on the population well it's, it beca- it caused a stir because it was discussed publicly and then mm-hmm. it was like this, it was a social media thing mm-hmm. and it gets into this weird area where you know some people have a, a really hard time with people exploiting hunting on social media because they say that you are you're kind of like bastardizing this beautiful thing Mm. and you're making it just like showing things on instagram just like all the other things that you show off on instagram your private jet or your big house or your fucking yachts and shit like you're you're making you're cheapening this this beautiful moment when i was a kid you had to go down to the local sporting goods store and staple your picture up to the brag board man yeah on the community brag board and you had to go down there to see what all was happening (laughs) well it's essentially just a a limited version of what instagram is but it's it's, a global brag board yeah but that's the thing too it's you're not getting people that come into that local sporting goods store that don't understand hunting (laughs) yeah yeah no it that is i think that is a big deal because i think and a big deal in that we need to think about how we're presenting things, you know, where, whatever, if you're down at the local sporting, if that's only hunters pretty much seeing that, just like when you'd write an article, like when I wrote for Eastman's journal or whatever, that was just hunters. Or if you're an outdoor channel, it's just hunter. No, 
nobody, nobody besides hunters is watching that. Now, everybody's on social media. So I think we just need to be very cognizant of what we're putting up there. Well, you do a fantastic job of that. And you have a very specific protocol you follow. You know, where you'll show photos of the hunt, then you'll show the meat. Mm-hmm. You know, you show harvesting the meat, cleaning the meat, and then eventually you'll show a photo of the animal that you killed. Yeah. Sometimes people... I don't even do that. Yeah. Sometimes I just show the whatever, just because the grip and grins for some people, and I have, you know, a lot of people that follow that don't hunt, they have a hard time with yeah. those pictures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm just like, I get it. Whatever. Yeah. You haven't grown up around this. I have. To, to me and people like me, this is part of it but i understand i've never had anybody get mad at me for cooking an elk steak exactly and it's just not gonna so it's just like do we need to put the the grip and grin up i mean is it necessary i don't i don't care if people do it i just want them to think about what they're saying when they put it up how they do it to me i i lead up to it i show the country the animals the the journey um like on this lion hunt i actually also showed a lion killed a a cat um um, uh, beef calf didn't eat any of it because if it, they killed it in the creek, the lion wasn't big enough to drag it out of the creek, so just oh, really? left, left yeah. it and went and killed an elk. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, followed the tracks for three miles, and I would see the lion go and uh, was sitting behind a tree. All the deer tracks were there, so the lion was hunting. Could and I shared all that. That's all part of the journey. That's mm-hmm. all the cool stuff. People, so I say share things like that. And yeah. also, you can share your kill shot. It's great. Isn't but also, also share what else stood out from the hunt. There's also a problem with hunting TV shows in that you're condensing something that might be seven days of 10-hour days. In 22 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And then people And then only... you, want to pick the, you want to pick the interesting 22 minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not like, like you just, it's like you randomly pull out segments out of your right. 100 hours of footage. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think it's that's been a big benefit to tell more of the journey now that you mm-hmm. know steve's on youtube his videos on youtube have tons of views so he's able to explain why the hunt's important what stood out to you it's more intellectual approach to it whereas you didn't really have time on an outdoor channel show you well, didn't have time to get into that some of my favorite shows of yours on meteor you're unsuccessful mm-hmm. and i love that you have those you know, I remember that one where you're getting real introspective about your father. Yeah. You know, it's like one of my favorite episodes you ever did. And it was just you unsuccessful hunting. And it's like, yeah, that's also a part of it. Like, this is not easy. Mm-hmm. And it's often unsuccessful. And I, I was always, you know, am, was always, am always bummed to not get something, too. Like, I'm trying. Yeah. But we'd be, you know, back back in the early days, we were making 16 shows. So... You weren't going to, you know, if you went and spent a week busting your ass and you didn't get something, it wasn't, the option wasn't there to to ditch it. Like, we were going to make something out of it. And in the end, that was great. I'm glad we did it. But, uh, you know, I, I've never gone in the woods hoping to be unsuccessful. Right. It definitely happens. And, uh, you know, I, but I always wished it was otherwise. Of course. You know? Yeah. But it's just the... the Editing it down to 22 minutes, mm-hmm. it gives people that are on the outside a completely different perspective. They think it's so easy. Well, yeah. you just go. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you heard that? If you're a real man, you you know you'd go hunt it with a knife or something like that. Yeah. Something stupid. You're oh, what a coward! Mm. You're yeah. shooting it from a distance with a rifle. And in that 22 minutes too, there's also sponsor obligations when it's on TV. So right. it's not even 22 minutes of hunting. Right. Yeah. You know, you have to have the 
this tips and tactics brought to you by right. Nosler, right, whatever. Right, so it's right. like you get down to the hunt, you can't really say why the hunt is important to you almost. It's like it doesn't give you time to, mm-hmm. to develop right. that story. So we've, it's a big benefit to us with social media now we're not we don't need approval by an editor we don't need the the channel to approve how long this thing is we put it on youtube and then we can tell the story of the hunt in a more honest and relatable fashion hopefully and explain why it's difficult and people understand it what kind of restrictions does youtube put on hunting videos now because i know you, that can, there you were... can push it a little far and get dinged what is it pushing far the the kill shot is no, it, it winds up being no like blood and and, and uh, skinning shots, any kind of graphic. Like uh, you know, we got the first ding you hit is you hit a demonetization thing, right? And then you can hit other levels of dings, and there's like a little scorecard. But um, oddly, uh, doing a knee, we had something like um, just like a, some examples of doing a necropsy on something just too graphic mm-hmm. organs mm-hmm. things like that disassembly that'll get you dinged um you can get demonetization i believe there's levels of demonetization you can get around um certain firearms issues but the primary thing is just like gore mm. right but even put in a in terms of a necropsy so i'm sure at some level it's like i'm sure it begins as an ai thing right scouring all this footage and find something that's like bloody and graphic and at some level it gets elevated we've argued and gotten our stuff back you know if you can get someone's ear and you can get it tested by a person and gotten it back but that is the primary thing is just, is gore there was talk of them eliminating kill shots i well, haven't heard that. that could be yeah. i haven't heard that i remember i, I think heard. that got rescinded but i think there were some issues uh, here it goes. You you can turn on ads for this content, hunting content where there's no depiction of graphic animal injuries or prolonged suffering, hunting videos where the moment of kill or injury is indiscernible, and no focal footage of how this dead animal is processed for trophy or food purposes. <laughs> Boy, that's pretty fucking limited. Yeah. Well, like for for me, I had I had one that was limited in age restriction. So people 18 and under couldn't watch it was it a firearms infraction or no no, no, no. one been firearms. just archery mm-hmm. but and, and i don't monetize any of my hunting videos because mm-hmm. i just don't even want to deal with oh you're killing for fucking profit right. or whatever right. the hell so i'm like i don't even i don't make any money off you don't these. turn monetization no, on not for hunting i do huh. it for my lift run shoot and my podcast yeah but for just the hunting i'm not ma- that's a good way to but i still got that that age restriction because of they said the gore. Then there was an outfit that, uh, um, what's his name, Jason? I think Sportsman's Alliance, maybe. But anyway, they wrote, they appealed it for me. They got it in, whole, uh, in touch with YouTube mm-hmm. and appealed their decision and got it overturned. Mm. So they, for people like me, they or for like us creators, they will go to go to bat for us and. Yeah, oftentimes I've seen cases. I remember our senator and uh, our our senator in Montana got uh, dinged on one of the social media platforms for having like a picture of him and his wife with a pronghorn. Yeah, and his account got taken down. And the minute humans became aware of this, or like the right humans became aware of this, they did like a very quick reversal. Yeah. So the the way. The way we'll generally look at it with putting up video content is 
we'll try to avoid um, we'll try to avoid demonetization. Being demonetization meaning you cross some line, right? But I but the thing is, I haven't found it to be like it's not like an onerous process. I feel that it's pretty. Um, if you if you compare it to other channels of distribution, I have not found YouTube to be like dramatically over restrictive, especially compared to any kind of, um, especially compared to any kind of like network parameter. Right? right? No, they're not. They're not. They might be bad, but they're not bad compared to anybody else. No, right? and that one that was Jason Quick who helped me with that. I just remembered his last name, mm-hmm. but that one I showed. I killed this bull on San Carlos, and I think I showed the lungs or where the arrow hit. Yeah, you know, and that's that's what got it. And it wasn't once I appealed it myself. They said no, we're upholding the restriction, and then they did get it overturned. It took so it took a couple times, but still is reasonable. And they took they had age restrictions on other ones that I didn't even know about, but I didn't notice that the viewership was down, and um, and so that they lifted all those. It's kind of a weird situation where, although there are many, many video platforms, YouTube essentially has an overwhelming majority of people into into the point where it's almost a monopoly. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you have things like that that are very valuable to people, like I want to see where the arrow hits. Yeah, I, I I like when I see blood pouring out of an animal because I know that that's a lethal shot. That's what you want. Like that, it might be graphic to some people, but if I I see a rage hit behind the shoulder on a deer, and I see that blood squirting out as soon as the deer starts moving, I'm like, that guy got that deer. That's a dead deer. That's what you want. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem awful to me. It seems better because that's a lethal shot. That's a successful hunt. That's what you're trying to do. To pretend that's not what you're trying to do. Boy, that seems insane. And if you're doing it only to protect the the ignorant, that seems insane too. It's like you don't have to watch those videos. And if you're going to allow those videos on the platform, you should allow those videos to be a realistic depiction of what everybody's trying to do, which is a lethal shot on an animal. And if you hit a lethal shot on an animal and you hit it in the vitals and you use a, a, a strong arrow with a great broadhead, you're going to get blood squirting out of it because that's what you want. Mm-hmm. The last thing you want to see is an arrow hit an animal and no blood comes out. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean and that's okay. Well, and meanwhile, they show pe- people getting killed, I think, on YouTube, don't they? I do not know. I but know, they I think showed they, them being- They pull those, I think. They being try to, injured. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, well, you see it- on the war videos, you see it blocked out or, yeah. or uh, obscured. Yeah. Uh, the some of the 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 hunting networks used to have self-imposed restrictions that they felt were um, cleaning up hunting for the sake of non-hunters looking in, and and it was counterproductive because they would have a restriction um, that they didn't want to see raw meat. They didn't want to see bare bone. Hmm. And so it created this sense of, uh, like when I say counterproductive, if you were looking in on it, watching it, there was no acknowledgement of what happens to it later, which created the sense that maybe nothing. Right. You know, yeah, and, then, and, then, and then that that eventually corrected itself. And they're like, oh, some level of gore, right? In, in parentheses, like some level of gore 
is helpful in explaining the process. But the instinct early on, the instinct was to not have any of that. Right. And, and people would get dinged for raw meat. They'd get dinged for like a bone sticking out of a backpack. One of the things that I really appreciated about your shows, particularly early on, is that you have a lot of segments where you cook the meat. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of shows where they don't cook the meat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that, was our, that was our trademark, dude. It's yeah. a big difference. Yeah. Big difference. I mean, it's it's much more enjoyable. Like one of my favorite videos is you and you shot that black pear that had the blueberries. Sure. Yeah. And you you're watching like you're explaining like look how purple this fat is because this thing's just been gorging on blueberries. Then you're cooking it and eating it. Like that to me is like that's a a full range of what the experience of hunting is about. I wish more people would do that. I find now looking back on those days, it's like I sometimes look back and it'd be like it was just shocking that that wasn't. It's shocking that that wasn't out there more. Yeah. At the time, you know, it was like it's something like so simple and elemental, and it was just uh, su- it was surprised people. It was almost non-existent. Yeah, surprised people on those outdoor channel shows. You, mm-hmm. you very, very rarely saw someone cooking the animal that they killed. It was, I think, it was kind of assumed just because of mm-hmm. how we grew up, and in magazines they never talked about that. You never read an article where they talked about how they process the meat or ate it that have a recipe a finished yeah a finished like a recipe right. with with shit you take out of the freezer but there was there was an ignored part there was right the old fred bear videos you know he fred bear was making videos way before we ever started hunting mm-hmm. the meat was never shown so it was just kind of like that's just how we learned then steve a brilliant idea meat eater yeah I mean, meat eater right there. You got the fork. <laughs> you got the forks on the freaking moose. Yeah. So it's like that was the best decision ever because it addresses that part yeah. of it, which was kind of like it's impressive that you foresaw what might be a a challenge for us, you know, explaining mm. hunting. So that was just like brilliant to come up with that. But at, to to our defense, that was never a thing. We we just knew. I mean. I read this old article. My first deer I killed that spike that I said when I was 15, I wrote this little thing for the school newspaper and said I got 37 pounds of hamburger from it. <laughs> and I, I, don't know, I don't know why because I don't know why I said That's that. That's a great school newspaper entry. Man. Yeah, yeah, because nobody ever talked about it. But it was like... That's hilarious. Yeah, it was funny. I said something like, my mom was happy because we got 37 pounds. It's probably all we got off that deer. It was pretty small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, so I mean... It's uh yeah it has changed. It and certainly opens people's eyes up that are non-hunters, and it's I think I think it's a very valuable addition to this whole video depiction of what hunting is all about, you know. And also, you're a really good cook, so you'd get like really like involved and make some pretty cool recipes, and you know you'd cook for your staff, and you had mm-hmm. episodes like yeah. that where you cooked all these different preparations of different wild game. It's cool. Yeah. It adds to it. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. Appreciate it. Well, listen, let's wrap it up. <laughs> let's bring this bad boy home. Um, meat eaters available. It's essentially only online now, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, we have, you know, like the fast channels, and but yeah, you can find everything we do on YouTube. So I just want to say to me, huge honor. You guys are the voices of hunting. It's what? like you're the voice of hunting, bitch. No, Shut no, the no, fuck no. up. No, you, I, you guys are so well versed in how to discuss it and how to explain it. As are it's, you. It's like, I am honored to be here and do to have a podcast with Steve. We've done a lot of podcasts, but to have all three of us here, it means a lot to me. So thank you. Well, hey, listen, oh, that, that's great. Thank it you. It means man. a lot to me. You mm-hmm. two are the 
main reason why I got into hunting, 100%. And without you taking me out to shoot that one mule deer that sits proudly on that table, it's uh, changed my life. Both Thanks, of you man. Did. Both of you did. Appreciate Love you. you. Love you, too. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.